Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Listen up, mucker feathers. If you just can't get enough of 83 weeks, we've got tons more waiting for you over at adfreeshows.com. Bonus episodes, all the archives with zero, yes, I said zero ads. Plus, we've got interactive events and experiences with yours truly. You can ask me anything. Chat one-on-one during our live locked and loaded events. And if you joined us in Chicago this year for Top Guy Weekend, we got to hang out the entire weekend weekend, and it was a blast. I can't wait for Top Guy Weekend 2022. Hey, want to hear me rip Greg Gagne, Vince Russo, and others a new one on our popular Eric Fires Back series? I eviscerate Twitter trolls on me tweet receipts, plus bonus watch-alongs and tons more. Do yourself a favor. Right now, Google the internet, and you won't find a better value in all of wrestling than over at adfreeshows.com. You not only get 83 weeks, but all of Conrad Thompson's podcasts early and ad-free and on video for as low as $9 a month. Come on, man. You can't beat it. Join the family today at adfreeshows.com. Hey y'all, it's Rebel with AEW. And when I'm not with the doctor helping her dominate the women's division, you can find me on adfreeshows.com every other Sunday, hosting my personal happy hour, Rebel's Happy Hour. And I would love for you to join me. It's an hour long of drinking, laughing, a little Q&A, maybe some guest surprises, and just chatting about whatever's on your mind. I promise it's a good time. And yes, it is all face to face. So do it now, do it today. Sign up at adfreeshows.com and become a top guy. And tell them Rebel sent you. Mwah. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Whew. Christmas is finally behind us, but are you dreading those credit card bills headed your way? Well, here's a pro tip. Don't get stuck making minimum payments in the new year. Savewithconrad.com can help you get rid of your credit card debt just like that. Oh, and we're going to get you the best deal on a mortgage you've ever had. But how's this for starters? No payments until March. You don't need money out of your pocket or perfect credit. So find out how much money you can save for free right now at savewithconrad.com.
recognized symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? Not to start off the show sounding sappy, but I'm just grateful as hell. I was thinking about this yesterday afternoon that every week I get to come on here and do this show with you and kind of look back at 30 years of my life or so and have fun doing it. And it's a way for me to kind of still keep my toe in that part of my life. That was such an important part of my life, but do it in a fun way. And I don't know how many people that regardless of whatever career you're in and, and assuming that you've enjoyed it a little bit anyway, but I don't know how many people get an opportunity to do that. So I'm grateful to you, to the people that listen really I really, really have fun doing this. So I just want to thank everybody, you and the team. There's too many people on the Conrad Thompson podcast network, <laughs> podcast heat. There are too many people to thank individually, but we all know who they are and they know who they are. It's such a great team of people to work with. And I have so much fun doing this. And again, I just want to take that opportunity. When you say, how are you? Just tell you, I'm really grateful to the people that listen to the show and the people that sponsor it. Man, we are too, you know, this been, uh, it's been such a treat to go back and relive our fandom because, you know, you're making all of this possible back then. And now uh, I consider myself like the first listener of this show because nobody was a bigger wrestling fan than me back in the day. And now the idea that we get to talk about the, what ifs and what happened and the good, the bad, and the ugly, it's so fun. And I look forward to it every week and I'm glad that we're here today and we got a big topic. We're going to be going back 10 years to talk about TNA victory road 2012. Uh, but before we do that, I want to talk about what's going on in wrestling this week, because boy, there was some big news this week. Uh, Tony Khan had quite the week, uh, the, the latest news as you and I are talking now, I guess I should give everybody a heads up. This is a Monday morning podcast, so we can't effectively do this. <laughs> with Sunday night in the rearview mirror. So I don't know exactly what happened last night on pay-per-view, but I know it was a financial success. Uh, I know it was one of the most stacked cards. And as we're getting ready for that pay-per-view, I'm pumped to see what CM Punk and MJF are going to do. And I know that you and I talked about that last week about what if, and boy, did you call it or what MJF is still the slim, uh, the slimy snake that we always thought he was. Yeah, that was really fun, and and I was hoping that that MJF would, as I said last week, you know, get everybody in the palm of his hands with that super, um, just amazing babyface promo he did. Suck them all in, let them get their drop their guard, lead with their chin emotionally as they're coming in to give you a big hug. Their chin is right there, and just knock them the fuck out. And, and, and do some evil shit. And MJF did it. I, I, I did see it. I didn't see it live, but you texted me and said, Hey, are you watching this? And I, I wasn't, but I did go back and watch it. And, you know, I'll be critical for and this is constructive criticism. And it's just based on my taste and my opinion. So it does, there's no right or wrong folks. 
as we talk about things like this, and I know the perception is that I'm anti AEW, which is nothing could be farther from the truth, actually. Um, but it doesn't mean that I don't see things from my unique perspective that only matters to me. I don't expect it to matter to anybody else. I could have done with less blood. Mm. You could have had the same effect. The story could have advanced. And actually, I think it less in terms of the quantity of blood that you see in a situation like that, less actually is more. It does look more believable. The only time you see people bleed like that is when it's intentional within the, 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 the scope of professional wrestling. You know, you don't see that in, in UFC. You don't see that in boxing. You don't, people don't bleed like that. This is a weird conversation to be even having, but if you're going to do it, don't overdo it because it actually detracts from the intended consequences. And I know head wounds are a little bit tough, by the way, head wounds bleed really easy and you bleed a lot, especially when you're out there, you know, your heart rate's probably doing 170, 180 beats a minute. I get it. But beyond that, and that's personal preference. It's all that is beyond that flawless execution, great storytelling. MJF is the shit. He is is the shit, man. I dig him in his work. Um, Great, great scene. Great story. And I don't know if I'll buy the pay-per-view because we have friends coming over for dinner Sunday night, but I may, if I don't, I'll I'll probably buy it and watch it afterwards because I'm really anxious to see how that evolves. You know, hats, hats off to CM Punk hats off, super hats off to MJF. Beautiful setup. Great execution leading into the pay-per-view. Let's see what it looks like coming out. I I absolutely loved it. I, um, I do want to say, I I don't think the, the magic behind, uh, well, getting color, as they say, is an exact science. I mean, you know, you do your best, but sometimes there's more than you expected. Sometimes there's less than you expected, but the visual of him in the white shirt and boy, it's coming out. And, you know, me as a longtime wrestling fan who watched the old stuff from ring of honor and a lot of the early stuff from CM Punk, the parallels were right there. And that's one of my favorite things that punk has done since he's been back is there's almost a tip of the cap to the stuff he did at the beginning of his career. And I'm not going to say he's at the end, but certainly he's in a different time in his life. And it's made for really, really great television. I think creatively they're onto something with that, uh, punk and MJF are, uh, probably the talk of the internet today, I would think, uh, now there's lots of other rumors about what might happen at the pay-per-view, but by the time you're listening to this, you know, what did happen. So we won't spend any more time on that. Let's talk about some other great news though. Double or nothing did a million dollars in day one sales. So think about that, Eric, you and I, and I get that we're talking about stuff that happened 25 years ago, but 25 years ago. Man, it was a goal of yours. We've got to hit a million dollars. And you got really, really close on several occasions, but never did it. Now, of course, with inflation, you certainly did it. I'm not comparing apples to apples. I'm just saying it is rarefied air. You know, I don't think Jim Crockett ever did that. And and and, and WCW got really, really close, but they never did. So really and truly, I think it's just that new Japan Ring of Honor Super Show from a few years ago at Madison Square Garden, Vince McMahon. And of course, adjusted for inflation, you probably did it. I don't know, a half dozen times or whatever, but 
when people are saying, I'm not sure about AEW or I'm not sure about the state of American wrestling and you know, yes, there are less people watching, but will they ever grow? And Lord knows we've had conversations about AEW plateauing a million dollars in day one sales in Las Vegas, which is historically not a great wrestling market. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what the million dollars is impressive. No, don't, don't let me you know, minimize that in what I'm about to say, but what's more impressive yes. is that it's being done in Las Vegas because what Las Vegas is a walk up town. Las Vegas is not, I don't know. I'm going to throw out numbers here that I don't know if are accurate or not, but I would imagine you know, 60% of the people that are going to be at that event aren't from Las Vegas. So it's a, it's more, or it's more of a walk out uptown than, than a lot of people would imagine because there's so much to do in Las Vegas. You know, there's a lot of competition for the entertainment dollar, <clears throat> whether it's live or, or anything else. So it's even more impressive that it's happening in Las Vegas to me. Looking for a great mother's day or father's day gift idea. I was, and I found it at paint your life. With Paint Your Life, you'll get a hand-painted portrait created to fit almost any budget, and it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You see, Paint Your Life transforms your photos into a one-of-a-kind, beautiful, hand-painted portrait created by professional artists. You upload anything you can imagine. You can even combine photos. You'll pick the artist, the medium. You can even customize the frame, and you can receive your painting in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, just text the word WEEKS to 87204. That's WEEKS to 87204. Text WEEKS to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. By now, you know that everything is crazy overseas and well, that's created some volatility in the market. We actually saw rates tick down a little bit this week. We don't know how long it'll stay that way. All the experts are predicting that there is going to be a rate hike this month in the month of March. Some are saying 25 basis points. Others are saying 50. What does that mean? It means waiting will cost you money. And by the way, I want to mention this is still a once in a lifetime opportunity just based on your real estate values. You see all of a sudden your house is worth considerably more than it was just a couple of years ago. And as a result, you can use that newfound equity to change your life. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners take their 30 year loan and pay it off in half the time. And how can they afford to do that without their payments going sky high? We get rid of all their other debt. And I mean it as a heads up. What would you do if you had no credit card debt? Just like that. It was all paid off. How much easier would life be if those car payments, whoop, they're out of here. No more car payments. That is the story that we're able to help our friends and family with at SaveWithConrad.com. You see, the interest you pay on your credit cards, not tax deductible, and sky high. The interest you pay on your car loans. Buddy, where is that going? What if we could restructure all of your debt, use some of this newfound equity, and at the same time, get you out of debt faster? You see, what we're talking about is reducing the time on your mortgage. Yes, we're going to get you a great rate, but if you're in a 30-year loan, think about what your life looks like 30 years from now. Man, life gets a lot easier when you're completely debt-free, and that's what we want to help you do. And by the way, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And oh, as a heads up, if you've been thinking, hey man, 
I like my house, but my kitchen's kind of outdated. What if we could get you the cash you need to turn your average kitchen into something your wife loves and it wouldn't change your monthly payment at all? Why wouldn't you do that? You see, you'd be reinvesting back in your own property. That's going to make your house worth even more. And oh yeah, you can do it with cheaper monthly payments at SaveWithConrad.com. Now I know it sounds too good to be true, but I want you to go check out our reviews for yourself. See what some of our new family members are saying at ConradReviews.com. You'll see there, we've got over a thousand verified reviews. Our average rating is 4.72. And if we were a restaurant with a thousand reviews and a 4.72 rating, I know where you're eating dinner and I know where you need to do your next loan. It's SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? That's SaveWithConrad.com. Man, this past April, I got a little nervous. I started to see my dad start to thin a little bit. Not around the waist, but around the top of his head. And I got nervous until I remembered that there are only two FDA-approved medications that can prevent hair loss. And Keeps offers both. Keeps offers a simple, stress-free way to keep your hair. Convenient virtual doctor consultations and medications delivered straight to your door every three months means you don't have to leave your home. It's also low cost. Treatment started just $10 a month and Keeps offers generic versions. They've got discreet packaging and proven results. Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of their competitors and prevention is key. Treatments can take four to six months to see results. So act fast. And if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keps.com slash 83 weeks to get your first month of treatment for free. That's keeps.com slash 83 weeks to get your first month free. That's keeps.com slash 83 weeks. That's keeps.com slash 83 weeks. In 2018, WWE ran a pay-per-view out there. And I only remember this because Bruce and I did a live show and we were so thankful to get the chance to, uh, have dinner with Michael Hayes while we were out there. And of course, Hayes was out there cause he's working the pay-per-view and Bruce and I had heard that they were running a promotion, buy one, get one free tickets. And this is WWE and they were having to do buy one, get one. And so when we brought it up to Michael Hayes, he said, uh, I don't know that we'll be back in, in Vegas anytime soon. And so now here, AEW has made this weekend, uh, you know, a, a hallmark event. And of course they had their very first show there in 2019. They were supposed to do it in 2020, but the pandemic had other plans. Same thing in 2021. So now after a three-year absence or a two-year absence, buddy, they are ready for it. And to see that sort of support, it tells you that there is an appetite. There is a fan base. And I don't know, it's gotta be a good sign considering that this time a year ago, we're still just seeing shows in Jacksonville in front of a sparse crowd that's socially distanced. And now, man, we're at capacity and a million dollars in day one. Kudos to Tony Khan and the whole crew. And man, there's some other news that, that we haven't touched on yet. It's been speculated for a few weeks, but this Wednesday, he made it official. Tony Khan purchased ring of honor. And I don't know that you or I saw that. I know that we both knew folks who were thinking, Hey, what's the value of this thing and what could be possible with this thing. But really, and truly, if anybody was going to get it, it only made sense for Tony Khan. Did it not? Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. You know, I mean, you could argue that because of the, just the power of, of Peacock 
and that platform that any additional wrestling content might be a good strategic move for them, but it makes more sense for Tony. Yeah. Given, given his roster. Um, so yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Absolutely. It, it, if it made sense to anybody, it made sense to Tony Khan. I don't have any inside information. I haven't spoken to anyone at all about this, but I think a lot of times where guys like Mark Madden or even earlier this month on this program, you said, Hey, this guy debuts, there's no time for him. That guy debuts. There's no time for him. All of that starts to make sense. If he really is going to run another promotion, because now instead of everyone just being on YouTube and there's nothing wrong with that, that is a worldwide platform. And Hey, we can see our products on YouTube. So we're big YouTube supporters. Still. The idea is where once upon a time we thought, man, this roster is just way too bloated. Well, it makes a lot of sense now. Does it not? <laughs> that's a, that's a pretty cool leap forward. So let's, let's play that out just for a minute. Tony acquires ring of honor. What does he actually acquire? And, well, I, and, and I'm saying this almost rhetorically. I don't know. I have just like you, I don't know anything. Well, I don't know all the terms, but I believe, you know, based on prior conversations, I'd heard that there were still clearances on some of the Sinclair stations. So maybe airing some products on some of that might make sense, but even let's if stop there. let's, let's stop there. I've seen the. The Sinclair station list. I, at least I saw it a year ago. I know what it looks like or six months ago. Um, not a lot of value there. Now he, here's the, here's, let me, let me look optimistically at it and then let me counter over to the other side of the table and look, analyze it more optimistically because we don't know there's so much. We don't know. Right. Tony could have a fucking awesome plan in his back pocket that none of us know about. So let's, let's assume that, that it's an awesome plan and there's a strategy there and we're going to take advantage of the Sinclair syndicated network because those are all syndicated television stations, right? They're locally owned and independent stations that are not in the best of day parts. It is what it is. Yeah. How do you, how do you, if you're going to do what you just suggested, if Tony is going to do what you just suggested, and now we've got this bloated or not bloated, we've got this amazing roster of talent and I don't really have enough television on TBS to take advantage of it. Let's start another promotion on another television network. So you're going to produce another television show, assuming it's exclusive that talent that's assigned to that new ring of honor show, we'll call it that is exclusive to the ring of honor show. Now you can take advantage of a, of a huge roster with some great talent in it, but you got to pay to produce that show. And there is not enough return on the investment of producing a separate show. If you expect to monetize it on the Sinclair network, because guess what? That's why they sold it. Well, hang on now. He's already doing that in Orlando. Who's already doing what Tony Khan has been running two YouTube shows out of Orlando. Right. So in my head, you could just slide that over there, but I think the highest and best use to use a, a real estate appraisal term of that Sinclair, those Sinclair time slots, if that really was part of the deal, I don't know, but if it was, man, wouldn't you just make that like almost your syndicated, I mean, it becomes a commercial 
for what you have going on with AEW. It's another way it's to an sell expensive your merch. commercial shooting a show for YouTube and shooting a show for television are two different things. Number one, um, no, number two, it, well, hang on now. Costs. I'm not, I'm not even suggesting that that becomes ring of honor. I, I think the higher, the highest and best use of ring of honor. I mean, I could be wrong, but if Tony really did want, let's go backwards. One of the biggest line item expenses or, or revenue streams for WWE is television rights. And we know that Tony is getting whatever it is, 43, 45 million a year, whatever for AEW. However, there's another big feather in the cap of Vince McMahon, and that's the streaming game. And from the very beginning, there's been chatter behind the scenes and whispers, especially when we saw it, like adorning the ring skirts and the turnbuckles and all that, that HBO max, who is a Turner property or a time Warner, but whatever it is for, for, for the moment, yeah, for the moment, either way, that's going cha- to change very soon. <clears throat> the, the idea that, Hey, we need a library, you know, the, I, as far as I know, they only recorded one show. It was a, an AEW house show that they still recorded. So they've got that and then they've got everything they taped in Orlando. And then of course, all the uh, dynamites and rampages, but now they have all the historical from ring of honor. You can use those packages in, in your AEW program, but you could also run ring of honor, almost like your NXT and it could be, it could live and exist on HBO max. It, you could syndicate it. But to me, the syndication piece of that, all the Sinclair network, I think I would use that as commercials to just hammer AEW. Those could be recap shows. They could be, think about the old, the way ECW used to do their stuff. A lot of the commercials in ECW were to buy their videotapes or to buy their merchandise or to buy their pay-per-views, things like that. I just, I I like the idea of we're going to create our own competition. And I thought when, when AEW first started candidly, since Cody was the NWA champ, when it felt like that was going to become a thing, it sure did seem like to me. Hey, uh, the NWA world title is going to be on AEW, and they're going to have their own little inner promotional thing that didn't happen, but it could happen now with ring of honor. Could it not? It could, but look, that was the original intent. That's why thunder existed. Yeah. You know, we're going to have two shows. They're going to have their own separate rosters. That's what SmackDown and raw are. By the way, I, I was, I never was successful with a two brand strategy. And I would argue that while WWE is obviously successful in terms of um, a financial perspective, raw and SmackDown are obviously generating a lot of money from a creative perspective. Nobody ever bought able, in. Yeah. Nobody ever bought in. It's a tough thing to do. And if WWE hasn't been able to figure it out in however many years, um, it'll be interesting to see if anybody else does. But look, again, I'm going to try to stay in the optimistic as opposed to the analytical frame of mind. But people are throwing things out there like, well, HBO Max. Well, that's because it's part of the Warner family for the moment. And I bring that up not to be a jackass, but things, things could change very abruptly or everything associated with Warner media right now. Yeah. When Zaslav comes in and he's already, we're talking about the David Zaslav, the guy that's going to be overseeing all of Turner. Um, he's got a different perspective on things. Yeah. He's talking about turning CNN inside out and upside down. That's a big move. That's a huge move. Yeah. Since television, since news is probably the only profit center one of the most got to be careful what I say news is probably one of the more significant revenue centers within Turner. 
Um, within all television, I mean, candidly, if you you buy local television, just here in Huntsville, the most expensive real estate you can buy is the 10 o'clock news. Yep. I mean, you know, you could be on the number one show, whatever it is every year. It's a little different, you know, 20 years ago, it was American idol. And and yeah, that would, that would maybe beat it. But outside of that 10 o'clock news is the prime time. And so it makes sense to your point. If you're fiddling with your biggest revenue driver, because you know, and here's the reason why, because I'm sure some of our listeners are thinking, well, I don't watch the news. Yeah. But those who do don't usually tape it. They watch it live. And that's the difference because if you're watching a sitcom or a drama or something like that, buddy, we want to DVR that. And why? So we can fast forward the commercials. And I know you do that when you listen to our show, I get that. That's why ad free shows. Exist. There you go. <laughs> but you know why the news works? Because nobody DVRs the 10 o'clock news and watches it later. You sit through the commercials. So that becomes really the most valuable real estate you have because everyone understands like here in Alabama, man, we're going to watch college football in the news live outside of that. We're going to tape it. And my point is if Zaslav apparently again, I don't know him. Well, I do actually know him, but clearly have not had a conversation about this. Right. But if you just, just read the room and see the kind of moves, look at discovery as a platform. Yeah. Who knows what, and I'm not, again, I'm being very optimistic here. I'm trying to be perhaps nothing will change from, from a programming point of view, from a philosophical point of view, as it relates to the growth of Turner 10, 20 years into the future. Perhaps it will stay exactly the way it is right now. I don't believe that for a second, but perhaps I'm wrong and it will. Then this is all great news. But if I'm, if history and not just my own history with AOL and Time Warner, but if history within the media industry suggests anything, it's that things are going to change and nobody knows how that change is going to affect everything within Warner Media including, including AEW. You don't, it could be better. It could be the same or it could be dramatically worse. So look, before I make this point, I never watch HBO max. I have no idea what's on HBO max. And I, do you watch it? I, I love it. You're missing out on some good stuff. What? Give me an example. Just so the shows you would normally watch on HBO, uh, you know, you can find them there. Uh, so like righteous gemstones, I watch every Sunday night. I used to watch that on HBO on direct TV. Now I watch it uh, on, on HBO max. And there's some, some original content that's there, but you get all the legacy stuff too. old, great movies. For instance, Eric, you could go and, and watch every episode of the Sopranos right now. You could watch every episode of sex in the city right now. And I know okay. that you, that's legacy content. Like in my group chat, which we've talked about a few times here on the show. I've got friends who rewatch the Sopranos every single year. And once upon a time you had a DVD, you'd pull it off the shelf and da, 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 da. But now HBO max, it's at your fingertips, ready to roll. And it, you know, just so everybody listening, cause maybe everybody hasn't put this together. It's everything from Cinemax and HBO together. That's the reason it's HBO max. And I, I use it at least every, I don't know, two days, three days, Megan and I absolutely love HBO max. Okay. So it sounds to me like it's a legacy premium content channel. Premium meaning originals. Yeah. Sopranos. You know, those are all high, pretty high profile uh, brands and episodes. So 
and this is my point, when you're programming HBO Max, just like you have to go through, and I'm part of these discussions, you know, off and on throughout the month, when we're talking about, you know, programming adfreeshows.com, for example, what kind of original content are we trying to create so that we're satisfying our existing audience and growing it even more? What you're doing, Conrad, is you're programming a network. And when you program a network, you're programming that network and you're trying to create content that satisfies your core audience and allows it to grow. Think of HBO Max as a great Italian restaurant. And they're going to have all of the HBO is going to have the best variety and quality of Italian food that you can find on television. And then somebody comes in and says, hey, let's put some Kung Pao chicken in there. Wait a minute. This is an Italian restaurant. Why are we putting Kung Pao chicken on the menu? That's not what people come here for. So if you think of it in terms of programming, and this is where things get dicey. This is why when there's a change in ownership, a change in culture, a change in philosophy in terms of growing a network, that's where acquisitions and mergers take on a, whole, a life of their own because at the very top, David Zasloff, just like he's doing with CNN, he's changing it dramatically. But are you, are you, does anybody really think, or we, we think he is going to change CNN dramatically, but does anybody think that somebody's going to go, hey, this wrestling thing is working so well, let's introduce Kung Pao chicken into our Italian restaurant menu? I don't think so. It doesn't fit. That was the problem with WCW during the AOL Time Warner merger. Time Warner, AOL, didn't want wrestling on their menu. It didn't fit their vision of what that menu should look like three years, four years, five years, six years in the future. And to think that Hey, it's HBO Max, and they're part of Warner, so it's an automatic fit. I think is a pretty big leap of of faith. I don't I don't see that as easily as a lot of people do. So who knows? But in in the end of it, all of the conversation about is it was it a good deal or not for Tony? I think it was a good deal. If Tony's goal ultimately is to build independent of Turner his own streaming platform, absolutely the acquisition of Ring of Honor makes sense. It's not going to make financial sense in the short term. It's just not. How many people around in the United States, the the United States television viewing audience, how many of them even know what Ring of Honor is? Well, listen, though, here's the thing. Let me finish, though. No, you're 100% right on that, but I don't think that's the value. I think sometimes, you know, we look, we we all have a tendency to just look at things for what they are. Right. But you got to play that tape all the way through. If Tony wanted to get in the streaming game, he needs a library and perhaps this is a way, I don't know all the terms of the financials. I don't know that it'll ever be discussed, but let's say he bought the thing for $10 million. If he can make a one-time $10 million investment, and now he can parlay that into a five-year $10 million per year streaming deal. Well, he just turned 10 million into 50. Conrad, (laughs) that's where I was going. Yeah. And I said, let me finish. Okay. It's short term. It is not going to be profitable. Correct. Can't be. All right. But three years from now, five years from now, seven, 10 years out, because streaming, streaming platforms are popping up every day. And it's here to stay. That, it, it's that, here to stay. That's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, guess what? 
content becomes more and more and more valuable over the course of time. Content that probably wasn't worth anything five years ago, conceivably is now worth quite a bit of money Yeah, because the market has grown, but the ability to feed it with content is, has not. And by the way, that's a situation that's going to become more exacerbated over time because a lot of independent producers are getting bought up by big producers and studios and networks. And you don't have, even five years ago, 10 years ago, there were a lot of what Jason Hervey and I used to have, a lot of small independent production companies that were fast, they were furious, and they were they, they could move easily into certain markets and, and types of content. That doesn't exist anymore. A lot of the great independent production companies you know, take, you know, Tom Beers, Original Productions, for example. Original Productions was the production company that created Monster Garage with Jesse James. And then Tom went on to create just about every top um, non-scripted reality show, particularly testosterone-driven ones that were all from the Ice Road Truckers and other examples. There's been so many of them, I'm not going to name them. I talked to Tom Beers a couple months ago, or you know, maybe long, might have been a year ago now, because I've known Tom for 25 or 30 years. And Tom said to me, Eric, as much, and Tom is one of the most prolific and successful te- independent television producers in Hollywood. He, you arguably, he's more successful than Mark Burnett. Mark wow. Burnett did some really big things first, but Tom, probably in terms of dollar volume, more successful or at least as successful as Mark Burnett. Tom told me a year ago, Eric, if I had to survive in the business environment that exists today, even with my track record, which is phenomenal, um, he couldn't do it. Hmm. So, and this is good for Tony. What I'm, and I know I'm spending a lot of time on this. I apologize, but no, I like great. to enlighten yeah. or at least give people a reason why I have the perspective I have. So as these independent production companies are evaporating or getting bought up by larger vertically integrated big studios and things like that, um, at the same time that the streaming platforms are growing and growing and growing and looking for content, guess what? Content becomes even more valuable. Mm -hmm. So I agree with you 100%. My opinion, short term, that library is going to mean absolutely nothing. And in a lot of cases, it looks like shit. You couldn't do anything with it anyway. It looks like it was filled out a phone in a high school gym, but there is still some great content there. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind the scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. So if you have a pet, you know, they're part of the family and fuzzy knows there's nothing that compares to coming home to a wiggle, butt or waking up to soft purrs. And that's why we want to keep our pets healthy and make them as happy as us. Fuzzy is a telehealth service for pet parents that offers 24 seven access to personal pet care from veterinary professionals from everyday questions to middle of the night emergencies. Fuzzy has the answers that pet parents need. Through live chat and virtual vet consultations available to you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, Fuzzy can answer your pet questions, big and small, urgent and every day. Fuzzy can also recommend the exact right products for your pet. 
all of which are handpicked by their established team of veterinary professionals and available at discounts exclusive to fuzzy members. From getting your pet's diet just right to meeting their middle-of-the-night needs to finally figuring out what makes their breath smell that way, nothing is too big or small for a quick fuzzy call. Right now, Fuzzy is offering our listeners a free seven-day trial membership. Go to yourfuzzy.com slash 83 weeks today to sign up. That's a free seven-day trial at yourfuzzy.com slash 83 weeks. And for a limited time, Fuzzy is also offering a special discount of $20 off any of your pet product needs. Pet meds, supplements, food, and more with promo code 83 weeks. That's yourfuzzy.com slash 83 weeks for your free trial of Fuzzy with access to 24-7 personalized pet care and vet recommended products. Hey, here's a heads up. CBD isn't about what you feel. It's about what you don't feel like stress, anxiety, or pain feels is a better way to feel better. And if you're struggling with sleeplessness or nervousness, or just looking to relieve some pain without the harmful side effects, we recommend feels feels as a premium CBD that will help you keep your head clear and feel your best. It's hassle-free and delivered directly to your door. CBD naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness, and there's no hangover or addiction. You place a few drops of feels under your tongue and feel the difference within minutes. Now, the thing to remember about CBD is that finding your right dose is important and really everyone's dose is different. In fact, feels offers a free CBD hotline to help guide your personal experience so that you can find your perfect dose. The feels customer service team is dedicated to making sure that you get the best use out of your CBD. Joining the Fields Monthly Membership makes your self-care easy. You'll save time and money on every order, and you can pause or cancel anytime. So start feeling better with Fields. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash 83 weeks, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's feels.com slash 83 weeks to become a member and get 50% off automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. That's feels.com slash 83 weeks. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash 83 weeks. That's feels.com slash 83 weeks. Well, and you've also got the legacy of these performers. Like, you know, for instance, uh, there was a lot of pre Hulk Hogan stuff in the AWA. So it made sense to go ahead and pick up that AWA library for WWE because you had all the early Hulk Hogan stuff. Well, now you've got all the early Daniel Bryan stuff. You've got all the early CM Punk stuff and who knows what else, but I'm so excited that this wound up with Tony, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad it didn't just wind up collecting dust on the shelf and candidly, I'm glad it didn't go to WWE. If for only that reason that we have been talking about for the last few weeks, man, there's just so much talent that he doesn't have a platform to show and having so many great top talent and not enough TV is maybe not the best situation. Now in theory, he's got it because that same talent can be under another banner and it doesn't feel less than, and I don't mean to dismiss those hardworking boys and girls and ladies and gentlemen who work in Orlando and do those tapings for dark and elevation and all that. But the reality is it is viewed as a B show. If you've got a show on TBS and you've got a show on TNT, and then you've got a show on YouTube, it feels less than, and that's not necessarily fair. It doesn't mean there's not great content there, but it almost became filler throwaway. But if we run it under a different banner, now it gives it a new flavor. So 
for me, for my money, OVW was very successful with creating superstars for the WWE roster, but T and uh, T and uh, NXT, I'll get it out. Did a much better job of building anticipation and a brand with those takeovers and those specials. And well, here's a new opportunity. So I'm so excited that Tony got it. Uh, I, I think let it's me a, make, let me make one more point before yeah. we go. Cause I know you want to shift gears here. Here's here's perhaps a short-term play that will matter with the ring of honor acquisition. If, if Tony's able to, and his team is able to figure out a way to use ring of honor and its legacy. And the fact that some of the talent that's in AEW got their start early on in ring of honor, there's a lot of connective tissue between Tony's current roster and the legacy of ring of honor. What if they're able to use that and use ring of honor as a backdrop to launch stories from, because now you've got a lot of people much like they did with, um, CM Punk and Eddie Kingston, even though it only lasted for about 45 seconds, it was still pretty fucking cool. Yeah. The potential of that story. Cause when you, I remember when you laid it out to me, I went, Oh man, that could be really, really good. Well, now you've got an entire you know, you've got ring of honor. You've got access to the library to use, to help fill in the backstory holes that you need to, to, to tell a really good story going forward in 2022. I think that's a short-term opportunity that, that I don't know if it justifies whatever the cost was, because we don't know what that was, right. but it doesn't fucking matter. You've got it now use it to the best of your ability. And I think using it as a platform to launch new stories, again, great stories have great backstory. Yes. You know, creating a new story out of thin air is challenging. It's obviously done all the time. Um, Sometimes really well. And sometimes eh, not so well, sometimes somewhere in the middle, but now you've got a real backstory that you can enhance to launch new stories from. And that's what I hope we see. Well, either way, I'm so excited, uh, for the, the hardworking boys and girls of AEW. What a big week, man. You know, the million dollar gate for, for pre-sales, a live dynamite, a live rampage, a big pay-per-view. Oh, and ring of honor. Uh, congrats to Tony Khan. And Hey, how about congrats for Pat McAfee? He pulled off the impossible man. I don't know that you had a chance to see it, but the internet was absolutely enthralled with his interview with Vince McMahon. Uh, I saw a lot of people who were very critical of Pat, uh, and, and his interview style and the way he positioned the whole presentation. I don't know what they expected. You, you, you've, if you've seen Pat's show before, if you've seen him on SmackDown, you know who he is, you know, what he's about, you know, his style, you know, his enthusiasm. And Oh, by the way, you know, he's on the WWE payroll. I thought given those confines, Pat McAfee, uh, as Dave Meltzer would say, five stars. I thought it was a phenomenal thing because we really got to see, and I've only had, I think two conversations with Vince McMahon, uh, but that was more Vince and less Mr. McMahon than we normally ever see. And I think that was cool just to, just to get just a minute inside of his brain and yes. Okay. There were some silly things, but that's really Vince. And I thought that was so cool that fans got to see that really for the first time. I, I thought it was very well done. What'd you think? I've known Vince 
since what, 2000, 2001, 2001, whenever, I don't remember when I started there as a talent. I think you popped up in O2. Okay. So 20 years. Yeah. Um, and before that I knew of him from a competitive perspective, but having face to face worked with them, been in a ring with them creatively, blah, 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 blah. Spent a cup of coffee there in 2019. And I was with him a lot, like way more than I wanted to be. Um, I never got past Vince McMahon has an electromagnetic force that surrounds him. And that electromagnetic force is at such a high frequency, 24 hours a day, that you can't get through it. You can't, it's very difficult to see the real Vince McMahon through this electromagnetic veil that he lives within. And I saw more glimpses of the Vince McMahon that I wish I would have gotten to know mm. during that Pat McAfee interview than I did during the combined times that I've spent with Vince McMahon over the last two decades. Wow. So hats off Pat McAfee. Amazing job. I enjoyed the hell out of it. I think a lot of folks were expecting there was going to be some sort of angle, uh, because boy, the internet had been a buzz saying, can you believe Pat McAfee's going to wrestle Vince McMahon? And you and I spoke briefly and we thought there's no way 76 year old Vince is going to actually do that for a variety of reasons. But I just assumed, Hey, if Pat McAfee is going to wrestle somebody for Vince, then maybe it's Austin theory, but now there's a lot of chatter that maybe it's Corey Graves or whatever it is. It won't be Vince McMahon in the ring. And I know that you got a chuckle out of all those reports that said, oh, it's definitely Pat and Vince because who said that, by the way, who reported that? Well, it was reported everywhere that, uh, Vince McMahon, where did it start? Come on now. You know where I'm going. Where did that start? I mean, the first place I saw it was the observer. There you go. (laughs) You drink your moonshine. (laughs) It's not moonshine. It's water. What time is it here? It's eight. It's eight twenty one in the morning here. I'm not drinking moonshine but, yet, but it comes in a jar like that in Alabama. It just sure does. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people were expecting there to be some physicality. Uh, just me as a fan. I don't want to see that. I want to no. hear from Vince. I would much rather have a Vince interview than have that Mr. McMahon persona. Yep. And the only person that I would, would enjoy watching Vince interview with now would be Joe Rogan. Yeah. I don't think that'll happen, but that I think Pat did as good a job as anybody that has interviewed Vince McMahon yet. And I agree with you, brother. If it would have turned into an angle, it would have, people would gag on it. It's just a promotional opportunity. It's just, eh. And we see, so not that it's bad, like we like watching wrestling because of the unique ways they come up. You know, the MJF interview, when he did his baby face interview, that was a scene that was to launch a storyline, an angle, if you will, call it whatever you want. Um, and we love seeing them. When we tune in to see wrestling, we expect to see that. That's why we're tuning in to see that kind of entertainment and watch things evolve and explode right in front of our face. But if you tune into an interview, 
a one-on-one interview, your expectations are completely different. And you want to get to know the person being interviewed. That's your expectation. So for if they would have turned that into an angle to promote anything, people they would have shit all over everybody's expectations on Pat McAfee shows, and they wouldn't be talking. They'd be talking about it, but in a really negative way. So I think they knocked, again, I think they've just knocked it out of the park. Yeah, because if we want to see an angle, we can see that on Monday or yeah. Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. But if we just want to see Vince talk, well, we, we're, we've never been able to see that. So right. I really dug it. And I did laugh out loud at his whole shtick about being late. Oh, and then they want to tell you why you're late. Nobody gives a shit. It was so great. That was the real Vince. I mean, I don't know the real Vince, but that felt like, okay, this is not a character. This is really the way this cat thinks. And. I thought it was fantastic. So, uh, hate on haters. I thought Pat McAfee did as good of a job as you could have done. And I'm thankful it happened because, well, we all watched. And that's the other thing I wanted to bring up to you, Eric, because, and I know we're going long here. We are going to get to victory road 2012, I promise. But WrestleMania this year feels super loaded. You know, we've heard there's another big surprise coming. Uh, they say it's an Austin level surprise. What we believe Austin's going to be back in the ring. Uh, we know we've got Roman and, and, and Brock, and we know we've got Charlotte and Rhonda. I mean, we've got some big time stuff going on, but for whatever reason, Eric, it's not selling out the way they expected. A few years ago, they had 101,000 folks there and the rock did a little cameo and that was fun, but now they've sold about that, but between two nights. So they're about a hundred thousand tickets shy of where they need to be. And I, and I find it funny that. There's a lot of folks who are kind of dunking on that online. A hundred thousand folks to watch a wrestling event is a big deal. Are you kidding me? Like the expectation is set so high that it's 200 and, and I, and I'm even friends with some, I have some really great friends who are going to be in Dallas and they can't wait to go to this show and that show and this event and our event. And of course, uh, supershowlive.com. They're going to be there too. But then they're like, I would never go to WrestleMania. WWE sucks. Hey buddy, why are you in Dallas? Why are the events you're going to see in Dallas? They're all there for WWE's WrestleMania. And you may not be, but the promoters who decided to run it. Why did they run in Pittsburgh that weekend? Eric, they ran in Dallas because that's where WrestleMania is. So I don't understand how it became. I hate everything about WWE. See you in Dallas. Why are you in Dallas? Run your shit in Fort Lauderdale that weekend, but you're not, you're running it in WWE land. You're running it in Dallas because of WWE. Where does this like, I hate everything about them. I mean, but I'm going to watch everything and I'm going to criticize everything and I'm going to be all around it. And I'm going to fly there and I'm going to buy tickets to everything else. Half the people you're going to meet at WrestleCon. And by the way, we're going to be at WrestleCon roll tide, but half the people you're going to meet at WrestleCon, you became introduced to them by watching WWE. I don't understand how it's so in fashion to hate everything WWE does these days, Eric. Here we go. Why is that? Is it because, well, I think there's a couple, there's no one reason for it. All right. First of all, you look at the haters, the people that are bashing AW or WWE, you're talking about the internet wrestling community, right? And there's just, that's the nature of social media, not just with WWE or wrestling in general, but the nature of social media is to be contrarian and to, to hate and to be negative. 
So you've got that. Now you've got WWE who, you know, come on. It's a $5 billion global wrestling company. They're the giants, right? And, and again, part of our culture is what, what do we like to see? We love to, we love to be on the journey and watch people make it to the top. And then we also enjoy watching them crash and burn only hoping that there'll be a resurrection. It's, it's, it's the ride that people are on. You can't wait to see people become successful and you can't wait to see them fall. And that's true in wrestling, probably even more so, but let's be honest Listen to a lot of the social media commentary coming out of the AEW camp. They're all burying it, not all. Brian Danielson, class act. But very few people, talents within AEW that have ever been associated with WWE or in some cases have never been associated with WWE. Their comments are all negative. They're hating on it. They're hating on WWE. That's how they're trying to build their loyalty. And I did the same thing. I am not being critical. I fucking, I, I can hold a master, giving away their finishes, making fun of Vince, yeah. holding up a sign that says Vince Fears Ring. All those things were, were done to divide the audience and to try to create our own loyalty. And you could argue that I did a piss poor job of it because even as we were growing and growing and growing, we were never really able to upend the, the, the audience loyalty that WWE had. We were able to take away market share for a while, but a lot of people were pissed off that we were beating WWE. Nobody wanted us to win, right? WWE had a different relationship with their audience back then. They were more connected to their audience then than they are now that they're a big $5 billion worldwide wrestling company. It's what they are. Entertainment company, call whatever you want. Sorry, Vince. But <laughs> that, that has changed now. And people want to see WWE get their comeuppance talent with an AEW, including Tony Khan are constantly taking shots at WWE in order to build loyalty within their own brand. Again, not a criticism, but it's a fact. That's where it comes from. So if you're a loyal AEW fan and you want to be on that train, you're going to do what Tony Khan does and what a lot of the top talent do on a weekly basis in social media as well as on their television show. And you're going to take shots and bury the competition. That's where it comes from. And then people want to pile on. And they argue about it on social media and then whatever. But that's where it comes from, in my opinion. The nature of the social media audience, combined with the fact that Tony Khan on down spent a fair amount of time taking shots at their competition and further divide the audience. It's, um, it's interesting to see how wrestling is evolving and changing. And now there, there are so many other opportunities that, WrestleMania is not the end all be all event. And I'm excited that there are all those events on the periphery, as you would say. And, and we're one of them SuperShowLive.com. It's yep. already been announced. Jeff Jarrett, Eric Bischoff and Jeff Hardy are going to be on stage, but Eric, it looks like any day now we're going to be announcing a fourth man. This is getting out of hand. And, and I wonder if this is because you're involved because the NWL grew by leaps and bounds. Are you going to keep adding? new members to our stage show. Is that what's happening here? Nice try, Conrad. <laughs> I don't even know who the fourth man is. Okay. It's me. I did it. 
but Damn was, it. you try to put that no, and I appreciate it because that was a very kind thing for you to do. Uh, but you're you're the man. I, honestly, and I'm not bullshitting anybody listening. As it at 8:31 a.m. Mountain Time here in beautiful, however snow-covered Wyoming, uh, I have no idea who the fourth person is. So that's on you, brother. And I think you're doing it for you again. You and your team are doing such a phenomenal job. I'm just grateful to be on this train with you. I'll tell you this. You need to be on the train to pick up tickets and be there live to see it. Supershowlive.com. By the way, we've just added a pretty unique opportunity. It's a backstage experience. Uh, you're going to get to watch the show from the side stage. You're going to get to come backstage after the show, meet the cast and crew, including the surprises. You don't want to miss it. Supershowlive.com is where you pick up your tickets. And, uh, well, let's just say no one is going to call who the fourth man is. It's not who you think it is. Uh, it will be a surprise. Everybody will be talking about it and it's happening April 1st. And this is no April fool's day joke. April 1st, supershowlive.com. Don't forget you pre-order the pay-per-view there and you get a pretty incredible trading card of Jeff Hardy. And as far as I know, Eric, this is the first time Jeff Hardy's had a trading card that wasn't a WWE or TNA branded trading card. And you've seen and heard, thanks to Gary V, maybe five years ago, trading cards are on the rise. I just saw a box of wrestling cards from like 86 sell for 30 grand the other day. And this is a Jeff Hardy card that's only available when you pre order this pay per view. So this is going to be a rare collectible. It's going to be worth more than you pay for the pay per view the day you get it. I can't imagine what it's going to be in the future. We're talking supershowlive.com. Go pre order the pay per view on Fight. And you get that Jeff Hardy collectible and stay tuned because, uh, the fourth man will be announced, Eric. This is going to be a lot of fun. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I can't wait. And we're going to be at Gillies. I've always wanted to have a beer at Gillies since I was 20 some odd years old, early twenties, whenever it was, when urban cowboy came out, I think it was what 20, uh, excuse me, 1977, 78, whatever it was. I've always wanted to go to Gillies and now I'm going to be able to have a beer with a lot of our fans at Gillies. I can't wait. It's a seminal moment for me. Let's mention too happy hour. That's what you want. You want to come to the VIP. You want to do happy hour, Jeff Jarrett, Jeff Hardy, Eric Bischoff, myself, and the fourth man all going to be there taking your pictures, doing the autographs, doing the whole thing. It's going to be a great time. Uh, Supershowlive.com is the place to do it. And man, the world will be watching WrestleMania that weekend. Uh, and, and hopefully everybody checked out AEW last night, but more importantly today, we're talking about victory road 2012 time to tell you about something I'm super passionate about protecting your family. Yes. This is a life insurance ad for goliathlife.com. But to me, this is really about peace of mind. Think about insurance for a second. We all get medical and auto insurance yet. We never even know if we're going to have a need for it. Let me let you in on a little secret. You need life insurance. We're all going to die. Now, as you let that reality sink in, think about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow. If you don't have a plan for that, you need to visit goliathlife.com. And I mean, right now, and just personally, I've lost two friends in their forties this past year and a half. And I don't even want to think about what their families would be going through. Had they not had life insurance. If you don't have it, get it, protect your family. And I suggest you go to goliathlife.com because they've made the process of getting affordable life insurance, super easy. 
Goliath Life streamlines the life insurance process by allowing you to get quotes for more than 20 carriers within minutes, and you'll pick your terms and payments to fit your budget. You pick your price, you start the online application immediately, and even schedule the medical exam to come to you. And I've done it. They sent someone to my office. I skipped the phone calls, the paperwork, and the crazy invasive conversations. Goliath Life makes buying life insurance simple. There's no hidden fees, no upsells, no hassle. Hell, not even a phone call. Goliath Life is life insurance in your hands on your time. Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at GoliathLife.com. Is something preventing you from achieving your goals? What interferes with your happiness? Check out betterhelp.com slash 83 weeks. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. They'll allow you to connect in a safe and private online environment. It really is so convenient. And you can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. Send a message to your counselor anytime. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they can make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's also more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and they've even got financial aid available. The service is available for clients worldwide. Find the particular expertise you need online. Don't limit yourself to counselors located near you. By the way, licensed professional counselors are also there who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, and even self-esteem. Anything you share is confidential. It's convenient. It's professional. It's affordable. And we recommend you check out their testimonials that are posted daily at betterhelp.com. And by the way, BetterHelp has been such a sensation and so helpful across all of America that they're now recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I want you to start living a happier life today. And as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash 83 weeks. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp. H E L P.com slash 83 weeks. That's betterhelp.com slash 83 weeks. And we thank BetterHelp for sponsoring today's podcast. This is an interesting time in the wrestling business here, Eric. Uh, Dave Lagana has been named the director of creative writing after Vince Russo leaves. Uh, what was the goal of bringing in Lagana from Ring of Honor months before to replace Russo? Uh, we haven't spent a lot of time talking about Lagana here on the program. And, uh, I think a lot of wrestling fans know he was, uh, pretty important to this resurgence of the NWA that we saw a few years ago with Billy Corgan, but man, he spent a ton of time here with impact. What was your experience like with Dave Lagana? Dave Lagana, you know, I had a chance to work with Dave when I was a talent in WWE in the early two thousands. Dave Lagana was there. Uh, I didn't. I didn't work with him directly one-on-one as much as David, as a part of the team with Ed Kosky and, you know, who Ed is already there. Ed Kosky, by the way, you never hardly ever hear his name. What an unsung hero. Huh? Unsung hero, man. He is. I can't, I can't even say enough good things about Ed Kosky as a pro, uh, in terms of his talent, uh, 
and he's tougher than shit mentally. Um, Cause he's been there for over 20 years as a right, as a member of the writing team. And now he's really, you know, Bruce oversees it all, but I guarantee you Ed Kosky is right there with him. Yeah. He's amazing. But when I worked with Ed, you know, in the early two thousands, he was, you know, young kid, um, Lagana, a little bit older, I think, but relatively new. Dave had some previous traditional television writing background. He worked on the friends series for some period of time. So he came from that world. Um, I like Dave. He, when I worked with him in WWE, he was an okay guy. I didn't hang out with him. Um, but I liked him. Okay. He, he was, he was a good writer from what I could see then. Now, fast forward to, to TNA, we needed somebody who had a good understanding of the structural aspect of writing wrestling and could thread a story throughout the show the way it needed to be. Meaning, let me give you one example. You know, early on, when typically you have the highest viewership, well, not all the time, but if you're lead-in was a good lead-in, um, you had a strong opportunity to hook your audience and hold them and build upon that throughout the entire two hours, whatever it is, one hour, two hours, depending on your show. And the, 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 one of the ways that we used to do that, and we still see it today to a degree, is when you shoot the right angle or you set up the main event early on the show, well, you've got to thread that. You've got to build upon that throughout the two hour episode to hopefully build your audience. When your show opens up with 10 viewers, ideally by the middle of your show, you're at 15. And by the end of your show, you're at 20. So you want to see a, an upward kind of climb. That's what a good television show does a good television show. And I'm talking about any kind of television show, wrestling, game of Thrones, you name it, whatever it is. Uh, always, you know, sunny in Philadelphia, take your pick. You want to build that audience throughout the, the, the time period. You don't want to start out with 10 viewers and be down to six by the middle of the show and be down to three by the end of the show. That's the sign of a disease. You have a sick show at that point and it needs to be fixed. And what Dave was really good at, one of the things Dave was really good at is helping to structure a show so that you plant a seed early on and you start to water it throughout the show. And by the end of the show, hopefully you've got something growing there and you've held on to your audience. That's why Dave was brought in more because of his just formal, traditional wrestling ba uh, writing background combined with a significant amount of experience that he gained in WWE. He wasn't brought in to be the lead creative powerhouse. I actually not to be disrespectful of Dave, but that wasn't his strong suit. Dave was one of those guys. And these are the most valuable ones that can take a big idea mm -hmm. and actually make it work. Because oftentimes people that can come up with big ideas don't really understand how to break it down and make it work over a period of time, whether that period of time is two hours or two months or whatever, you know, most angle, you know, angle driven people, you know, angle driven talent and angle driven creative people. Vince Russo was one of those. He can come up with a great idea. He couldn't tell you how to get to it and he couldn't tell you what to do after it's over. But boy, that one big moment was a hell of a moment. 
So that's what Dave, Dave was brought in more because of his discipline and the experience that he gained in, in WWE. Dave wrote this Dave Meltzer. Lagana, who worked on the TV series Friends in the 90s, was later head writer for SmackDown and ECW while working for WWE, will now be the main script writer, writing the interviews, filling out the shows, and doing the nuts and bolts work on TV with Matt Conway, who had been Russo's sidekick. Pritchard and Bischoff are still the people who are making the big decisions regarding who to push and what angles to do. Whatever major differences people were expecting, would be the changes already made months ago when Pritchard started in the role. Is that fair to say how, how important was, was Bruce to TNA creative in this era? Very important, very important, but, oh, there was something there that, that Dave said that caught my attention, but I'm going to let it go. I don't want to talk about Dave Meltzer anymore than I have to. Um, Bruce was, Bruce had two hats that he had to wear. One was creative. And I couldn't wait for Bruce to join the team because he had a good sense of balance and so much experience. Um, And Bruce and I often had different opinions about things, but we were able to discuss them with a lot of mutual respect and work through those differences to come up with a better idea perhaps better than Bruce's original idea and, and better than my original idea. That's what great collaboration is all about. Didn't have that with Russo because Russo was, uh, if it wasn't his idea and he wasn't totally in charge, he didn't want to play. You know what I mean? And and we've all known people like that. It's, you know, whatever that's, that's the, that was the problem with Russo. Whereas Bruce and I could argue, debate, challenge each other, in a very productive way and then go have a beer when it was over. And that's important. Not that you drink beer when it's over, but it's important that you can have that much respect and appreciation for the people that you work with, that a good idea becomes a great idea in the process. Um, again, Dave was brought in to tie it all together. Oh, that's what I was going to mention. Matt Conway, Vince Russo's sidekick. That That's a reflection of pure ignorance in the, literal sense of the term lack of information and knowledge is what defines ignorance uh, for Dave to say that and disrespect Conway that in that respect just should, of course it's not because people don't understand Matt Conway was talk about an unsung hero. Talk about a guy who could have been an Ed Kosky if he chose to, you know, that was Matt Conway. He was really, I I didn't read that negative. It didn't read negative to me. I don't think sidekick is a negative. You you view it as, as uh, I mean, I'm sure people listen, I'm your sidekick on the show. I don't view that as a negative. Nobody believes that. Nobody believes that (laughs) everybody knows that you're the fucking, you're the wizard of Oz behind all this shit. And everybody knows it. you can humbly sit there and say, Oh, I'm almost, I'm just a wrestling fan. And I'm just your psychic. That's bullshit. (laughs) Everybody knows I'm coming. I'm bringing up the rear for you. I'm I'm the guy that's, you know, you're going through the fucking prairie on a, on a horse leading the fucking wagons, like an 1883. Right. And I'm the fucker that's running around, picking up the coffee cups and shit that fall off the wagon as we go. Stop. And everybody knows that. So bullshit on that. Well, I just, the reason I find it disrespectful is if I'm Matt Conway 
and I'm working my balls off and I'm sitting in a room for as long as Matt had to sit through these rooms and take all these disparate ideas, disparate, cool word, Google it, folks, take all these random ideas and put them together in something that even looks like a cohesive script. That's a big job that Mr. Meltzer could never even attempt to do. He can't string a sentence together correctly, more or less try to put together a television show and calling somebody a sidekick as opposed to a writer, I think is disrespectful. So that's just me though, folks. It's just me. I'm just a human being. I have my flaws. I look at things certain ways, but to refer to somebody as a sidekick when that sidekick is the person that's actually making the show happen in real life is in my opinion, disrespectful. You know, I just realized this whole time I've been saying that word incorrectly. Disparate. I, I've said disparate. Well, maybe disparate. you're right. No, I mean, like Google's saying it. Oh, disparate. okay. Huh. Disparate. So learn. I live there. to enlighten. Yeah, you know, I live to enlighten. Even me, not just the audience. <laughs> so we're coming off a trip to England after the, uh, against all odds. And there's an interview with, uh, Hulk Hogan in the sun. And Meltzer's going to speculate that it could hurt morale in this interview. He says that the company lacks guys who are the complete package, like the rock or John Cena. He says, there's a lot of guys who can do five-star matches and flips and crazy things, but that's only 10% of wrestling. They don't have the other 90%, which is talking to the media, doing national TV commercials. He also says that TNA originals are so used to having five-star matches and their mindset is so screwed up that they have to have five star matches 10 years from now, and then they'll never draw any money. And that's because they're all second tier players. And he ends the interview talking about how he hopes spike will keep TNA when the contract comes up later this year, you know, it is interesting. And Lord, I am only here uh, because I grew up a Hulk Hogan fan. That was my first foray in a wrestling fandom, but it is interesting. Uh, and I don't mean to be critical of your buddy, but Lord saying, Hey man, that's only 10%. They've also got to learn how to talk to the media dot, dot, dot. Meanwhile, I'm fucking burying the company right now. That's less than awesome. If your DNA to read this, like, oh, wow, Mr. Balea, we really wish you wouldn't have said it just like that. Right. Yeah. That's you do have to, I, I have to look at that from two different perspectives because Hulk's my friend. Yeah. And because I tend to be forgiving of the flaws of my friends and my family and try to be of myself as you should, um, part of what Hulk said was true. Of course it was. All right. But it's how you say it. Yes. And why you say it that matters. And if I, if I switch chairs and I'm now looking at it from the Carter family's perspective or the locker room's perspective. Well, fuck this. Yeah, it may be true, but why do you have to say it? Yeah. I mean, we all know we got to get better. Yeah. Why do you have to say it? And to your point, (laughs) Oh, Kogan, you know, probably one of the easiest wrestling celebrities to book, or at least he was then. And then to use that opportunity to kind of pull the threads from the fabric of the company that you're working for doesn't make a lot of sense. 
So I get that. It was not the best interview Hulk ever did. It's no, not that he was wrong. It's just that it, it was wrong to say it. Yeah. Listen behind closed doors, man, we should have that conversation, but when there's a microphone and we're taking the check, maybe we use some softer language, but especially as you point out, especially as they were going into negotiations with spike TV, what does spike TV think of that? You know, that's, that's the weird, you know, cause the relationship between the network and the wrestling entity pretty important is not as direct of a relationship as you think. Right. And it's, it's not even in AEW, you know, there's, there are connections between AEW and Turner, some very, very strong, some maybe not so much. Why would you give the not so much crowd ammunition? See, even their own talent saying that, you know, why would you do that? It, it, it was, it was a, it was a bad interview. Let's keep it moving here. Um, TNA is in talks with Jason Pierre Paul about appearing in TNA Pierre Paul at the time is a defensive end with the New York football giants. And he tells Alex Marvez, who's now of AEW, but that back then he was with FoxSports.com. Uh, the deal isn't quite done, but according to Meltzer and Pierre Paul, um, well, he might be pulling out and Brandon Jacobs is going to replace him. So on some level, this feels like an LOL TNA thing, but on another level, I'm almost like, you know, it's football. It's only going to matter to a section of the audience anyway. Like, even if you are a big football fan, are you a real big giants fan? Does it matter if you've got a defensive all-star or a running back? I don't think it matters. Doesn't matter a bit. Now, if that, if that talent's going to get involved in matches and you've got a story and is making a commitment, possibly it is valuable from a strategic point of view. Yeah. Anybody outside the New York market's not going to give a shit, but guess what? The New York market's a big freaking market and it matters and it matters to potential advertisers and it can change the opinion of people who make, you know, sponsorship decisions and things like that. When you bring in high profile athletes from a major television market, it can matter in the long run, in the short run, certainly not. Um, but I've got to be honest with you. I didn't know who Jason Pierre Paul Portois was, whatever his name was. I don't know who he was. Yeah. But that, you know, it's probably me because I'm not a big football fan. Um, I didn't know who he was, and I don't think it does matter. No, I mean, listen, if you, and to be clear, I realize a lot of people are going to say, but Eric, you say that, but you had Reggie White and you had Kevin Green and you had. Dennis Rodman and you had Carl Malone, anybody who's comparing Dennis Rodman to either of these, other, Dennis Rodman was a pulp icon at the time. I mean, a, a unbelievable, the mainstream publicity that he had for himself before he was involved in wrestling. I mean, when you show up to your book signing in a wedding dress and you're nearly damn seven foot tall and covered in tattoos and crazy colored hair. You're going to get a lot of attention. Uh, these folks maybe don't check those same boxes and Kevin green for the, for by and large was used in the Charlotte market. Uh, and, and that's something that I think a lot of people forget, but they didn't just, this is going to be a New York football giant doing some shit in Orlando. This is not going to be the use of a giant there in New York. 
that's a totally different animal. Um, yeah. And Kevin green was an all pro Kevin green also had a big footprint in Pittsburgh. Yes. Um, not just in Charlotte, but also in Pittsburgh. Well, while it's not New York or even Chicago as a television market, it's, it's significant. Kevin green was in a, an entirely different class than the New York giant names you're bringing up and Kevin green, more importantly, as was, um, Carl Malone in a storyline. It yes. wasn't just making an appearance. No doubt. Uh, let's go back to the observer. They've got some, uh, some criticism for Jeff Jarrett and easy E when Jeff Jarrett was running things a few years back, there were constant complaints about him pushing himself and the direction. And now almost everyone who was around back then looks at those days as being the good old days because of the heat on Eric Bischoff with the idea that Eric's on a power trip and because of the natural heat from pushing his son. Now people talk about the Scott DeMore book days is when things were the good days. Well, at least when it came to pay-per-view, those were the good days. <sighs> you know, there was heat on Jeff Jarrett because he was booked in all the top spots, but at the time the company was ran on a shoestring budget. And this is just me saying that. So much like when the dying days of the AW or AWA were here. And Vern looked around, Hey, who can I trust? Isn't going to take the money and is going to stick around. Well, Larry Zabisco is part of my family. He'll be here. We'll try that. I get why Jeff Jarrett did what he did, but it is interesting. The idea that Garrett is getting some TV time. Now people are saying, Oh, Eric's on a power trip. What say you? That's just Dave being Dave. Garrett had zero heat. Garrett had a lot of respect. Garrett was friends with a lot of those guys and still is some of them. Garrett didn't have any heat. Garrett didn't get shoved down anybody's throat. Did I give him an opportunity? Yes, we've covered this. But was he shoved down everybody's throat? Absolutely not. There was no heat on me or Garrett. Now, there may have been people that didn't like me. There may have been people that didn't want me to be in TNA. I can argue that. But if it was true, it wasn't because of Garrett. If anything, Garrett probably mitigated some of that heat. If it existed, that's just Dave being Dave. Dave always felt the negative. He always felt the, the need to try whenever possible to bury me, which is fine. I do the same thing for him today. It's one of the other things I'm grateful for because of this platform is we can expose the silly nonsense. Like you just read from Meltzer, just like, you know, Pat McAfee and Vince McMahon are going to have a match. Hey, Dave, you're going to eat that one publicly. You're going to apologize for that misrepresentation of facts, or you're just going to pretend it didn't happen, or are you going to blame it on WWE and say, oh, plans change? No, you're just, a, you're just who you are. And that's exactly what that commentary was. Another example of Dave Meltzer being Dave Meltzer. There's talk in the observer of Katie Hebner, the daughter of Earl and the sister of Brian trying to get a job as a, as a wrestler. Do you remember Katie Hebner? This is the first I've heard of it. Okay. I'm not saying it didn't happen, but. If it was a conversation, it was not one that I was ever part of or even heard, um, accidentally. So I, I, I know nothing about that. So coming out of, uh, against all odds, Bobby Roode has survived the four way to retain his title. And there's talks about how great it was that sting had to count the pin after all the times that sting has tried to screw him. Sting comes out and says it was his fault that he got overzealous and cost Hardy the title. So he's announcing rude versus Hardy with no time limit and no DQ. And you have to tape two of these matches because apparently somebody didn't like the first finish. 
The first finish would see angle interfere, throw Hardy off the top rope when he's going for the swanton. The second finish is the exact same thing, except he throws Hardy into the steps afterwards. It's, um, less than ideal when you have to retape something like this. Do you remember this? No, no, I don't know who was involved in a decision to shoot it again. I, I didn't get involved in finishes like that. Never have. I don't, I, Rarely was I ever involved in laying out a match only if it was something really, really unique. Um, so I, I, I honestly, I don't know. could have been Kurt could have been Kurt saying I didn't like it. Could have been Terry Taylor saying that really wasn't what it should have been. Who knows? But I, I wasn't involved in it. So I don't remember it. So coming up next, we've got a number one contender match tape between James storm and bully Ray storm's going to get the win clean, but then Ray's going to jump him afterwards. And that allows Brandon Jacobs, the football player to make the save, get into a stare down with Ray. Ray's going to spit beer in his face. And, uh, you didn't know who he was. So you didn't care, right? I didn't. <laughs> and the, no, I'm just, I'm just being honest. You know, no, I, I get it. Look, when you, when you, when we do these shows, and I've made up my mind about this a long time ago. I can either wax eloquently about shit that I know nothing about, like everybody else does, or I can make shit up to make myself sound more important or that I'm was more aware or involved in things that I really wasn't. I could, I can do all that. I can make up shit on the fly that would convince you and everybody else that I was invested in something that I had nothing to do with. But I don't do that. I try to be honest. And when I say I didn't care about Brandon Jacobs, it's not because he was a bad person or I didn't respect him as an athlete. It's just he could have showed up at my house with a pizza and I would have known who he was. So the follow-up to Gunner destroying Garrett on the pay-per-view is going to have Gunner and Flair come out for a promo and you warn your son not to come back. Uh, we would also see Sting come out and announce that since storm won the number one contender match, he'll still get his shot at lockdown in April in the cage. Uh, and Meltzer would write Mike tonight voiced over a piece about Sorensen as noted, this was handled perfectly. They told the truth about what happened. Didn't try to exploit it, nor gave a whitewashed version of the story. They gave the information and didn't pass over it. Like it's not our storyline and it's just an unwanted intrusion. And often serious injuries, particularly when they aren't major stars, are treated like that. What do you think of the way that we explained the injury on television with Mike tonight? Classy. Classy. Dixie Carter was really genuinely concerned for Snornson. And wanted to be respectful, wanted to cover it the right way. I can also tell you that there were people within TNA that didn't want to do that segment from a legal perspective. And they weren't wrong, by the way, because you had some serious potential litigation hanging over your head. And everybody knows that's ever been involved in litigation. The last thing you want to do is go out and start talking about things publicly that could come back to haunt you. So there was a certain amount of pressure internally not to do it, but hats off to Dixie Carter. She wanted to do it and she wanted to do it respectfully. So that's why it happened. And I think 
she should be applauded. Jesse was finally released from the hospital on February 15th. Uh, and after the TV taping without Russo, uh, this is the first one sans Russo Meltzer would say this, the general feeling is that it's business as usual and no different when it comes to creative with Vince Russo gone. Nobody was celebrating his departure, nor was there any great depression over his leaving, even though he definitely had his supporters among the wrestlers. When it came to Russo, Bischoff and Bruce Pritchard, most wrestlers seemed to like Russo more because he was a better people person. Bischoff rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Russo has been there for a long time and the newer talent didn't have the negative feeling for him that people who had been around wrestling a long time did. The changes as noted with slowing down the pacing and concentrating on a few angles instead of a million angles were done months back per the directive of Bruce Pritchard creative right now is Pritchard Bischoff, Lagana and Conway. So it all ended up exactly how it was expected in hindsight. Was the creative process easier for you without Vince Russo? Oh my God. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. And, and, and really just because of. Russo's personality, not because he was such an obstructionist creatively, but Russo didn't have much of a backbone. He would, you know, in a production meeting, he would fight for his, he'd get all emotional and, you know, he was good at it too. Um, trying to sell his creative perspective. Um, but outside of a production meeting, he, he was, he didn't, he was not, he wouldn't put up a much of a fight for anything. You know, and it, it was, again, it was easier with Bruce and I and Dave and especially Matt, because there was no ego there, despite what Dave Meltzer would want you to believe it was, look, let's, we got to get the job done. We've got to build our characters. We've got to build our stories. We've got to fix a lot of shit. That's not right. And it was, it was a more of a team effort and less of a political environment with Russo gone. So of course it was easier. So you made a face when he wrote Bischoff rubs a lot of people the wrong way. You're not the same guy though. In fairness, you've probably evolved and changed. I think all of us have, but. Well, I have, but that's not true I mean, what's not true. I mean, show me, I'd like to hear from one. And I'm not saying that I, that I did rub some people, whatever that means, rub them the wrong way. Look, I've never been a social animal. I'm not, I'm, I'm not the type of guy that Vince Russo is. We're just going to sit down and talk about baseball and, you know, your favorite kiss song. And you know, I, fuck, I don't do that shit. I don't still don't do it today. I haven't changed in that respect. You know, I'm, I'm not a social person. I have a small handful of friends, one of whom I'm on the show with right now. And, and I could count all my, what I would consider close friends on one hand and have plenty of fingers left over to type. So I've not been that outwardly friendly guy. And some people are put off by that. I am fairly intense, especially when I'm working, I I'm focused. And sometimes that comes off to people as being arrogant or indifferent no motherfucker. I'm in the middle of a battle. Yeah. I'm, I'm not here to eat pizza and talk about kiss I'm here to get some shit done. And I want to hear great ideas. And that does rub some people the wrong way, but those people shouldn't be in the entertainment business. 
I was respectful of talent. I worked with talent. I worked with talent that I didn't like personally. It didn't matter professionally. I mean, talk to Nick Aldis. You know, Nick, Nick had a great perspective of my backstage style and, and the way I approach things. You know, talk to Austin Aries. You know, talk to, to Robert Roode, by the way. Talk to AJ Styles. I had a nice talk with AJ when I was WWE back in 2019. You talk about the people that were really there and ask them what it was like to work with me. And you'll find people that'll say, hey, I really wouldn't want to hang out with the guy, but I liked working with him because I was honest. I was direct. I didn't bullshit anybody. And you know what? That offends people. And it offends people on this show when I'm honest. And then when I'm direct, it offends people. People don't like honesty. They like spin. It is funny. And again, I go back to AEW. If I'm putting AEW over, or if I say something positive about Tony, what does social media say? Bischoff's trying to get a job. If I'm honest about my opinion and qualified is only my opinion based on my experience and perspective, I'm very, I'm jealous of AEW. What the fuck? And, and Dave's kind of a representative of that mindset. It's, it's, it's why I call it, you know, it's dirt sheet news, dirt sheet wrestling. You know, that's the, that's the, I guess the frame of mind of the people that think that shit and read it and believe it. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure I rubbed some people the wrong way. I know I did. I, I'm, I'm sure I rubbed Andy Barton the wrong way. Nobody knows who Andy, Bar Andy Barton is, but he was the head of live events that couldn't find his ass with both hands and a compass. But yeah, probably true to some extent, but that was more a reflection of their flaws and weakness than my own personality. Here's what Vince Russo had to say. Despite the continuing rumors, speculation, and hearsay surrounding my departure from TNA wrestling in an effort to set the record straight, I was not fired, terminated, released, or let go from the company. It was my decision to walk away. And from there, the separation was mutual, amicable, and professional. It simply makes good business sense that where someone of my talent and ability was not going to be used to their capability or capacity, that a parting ways was inevitable. In closing, I'd like to thank my fellow writer and friend, Matt Conway, for giving me purpose, my friend and brother, Jeff Jarrett, for hiring me, Dixie Carter, and the entire Car Carter family for keeping me employed. But more importantly, every man and woman in the locker room for giving me the opportunity and ability to work in the professional wrestling business for the past 20 years. Without their blood, sweat, and tears, I would not have been able to support my family and make a living. My greatest loss by far is leaving them behind. And truly from the bottom of my heart, I wish TNA all the best in their future endeavors. Pretty nice little going away. Dear John letter, huh? Whatever. <laughs> that, that is so much Vince Russo bullshit and con. I see through every syllable of that. Every syllable of it. It's just Russo doing what Russo does probably best is charm. Russo's got a lot of charm and he uses it to try to get sympathy and get himself over whatever. Good for him. I'm glad he felt better writing that. I'm sure he did. By the way, he would have a secret return in 2013 and 14. Um, 
And I guess that's it. But this is the last time. Yeah, and it he cost was, him their relationship with Spike TV, which cost him their entire business. But whatever. You right. don't lie to your network partner, by the way. That's a, that's one thing you do not do. There's a lot of things you don't do, but lying is at the top of the fucking list. Yeah. When the network, especially a guy like Kevin K says, look, we don't want this anymore. We're paying for it. He who writes the check writes the fucking rules and Dixie. We don't want anything to do with this guy. And then she went back and tried to do it anyway, behind their back. That was, that was the death blow. Vince Russo and his association behind the scenes was one of, if not the most important blows to the head that killed that relationship. Let's jump into it. Brian Kendrick is going to be released from TNA. And, uh, he says, uh, well, he talks a little bit, uh, after he's released, he says he kept pitching ideas and they were all ignored. He said he asked for them to bring in Paul London and they could be a tag team. He asked them to bring in Shelly Martinez and do a Kurt Cobain, Courtney love style duo. He said that he initiated asking to be released, but noted it seemed they were happy to release him since they weren't using him anyway. He noted that he had signed a per appearance contract. So when he wasn't being used, he wasn't getting paid and he blamed himself for signing a deal like that. He also said in a meeting, he got Russo to say that the wrestler should unionize. The way he explained it was that Russo had a meeting with talent a long time ago and noted that there are people who have contracts that he couldn't believe they would sign saying they must love wrestling to prostitute themselves out like that. Kendrick said when Russo said that he directly asked if he was suggesting or endorsing the idea of a union and Russo said, he's going to get in hot water, but yes, that's what the wrestlers need. And we all know it. And he said, the problem is to make it work. The top guys would have to be involved. Which is basically the reason why it's been decades, 1986 to be exact, when the last time there was anything resembling a major movement to unionize in the United States, Mexico and Japan do have wrestler unions, but the ones in Mexico have never seemed to work. Now, this is a, a nice little sidebar here because Kendrick brought it up. You and I have never really discussed it. Would a union work in wrestling? No. Why not? Union would kill wrestling. It, 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 not immediately, not overnight, not the next day, but over time, it, it would, it would ruin it. Um, I get it. I get why if you're a wrestling talent, especially if you're in the middle of the card or bottom of the card, why well, you'd want that. Um, so I'm not saying it's a bad thing to want the type of temporary security that a union would provide, right? Guaranteed uh, health benefits and all those things that come along with it. Um, probably better pay for the people at the bottom of the, the roster and towards the middle of the roster. But it also would affect the profitability of the company, which eventually is going to come back to bite the talent in the ass. It just is. You can only, you can only do so much. No, I don't, I don't think it would ever work. I really don't. And this is the idea that Russo would be advocating a union to a TNA locker room is one example of how Russo stayed relevant for as long as he did, because he would build those. He did the same thing in WCW, right? 
he was like, oh, man, all these old guys, all these top guys are fucking ruining it for everybody else. We need to bring the young guys in. We need to bring them the fucking big vetoes that will never draw money, even back then. We need to bring those guys in. So, well, of course, they were loyal as fuck to Vince Russo. That's, that's why he did that. And it's the same reason he would have a conversation like that in the locker room with the talent was because it's a way to endear him, which if you endear yourself to the talent, when push comes to shove, the company's going to be less likely, and well, Dixie Carter anyway, would be less likely to cut you loose because you wouldn't want to upset the talent. That's how Vince Russo stayed in his position as long as he did. Not because he was really effective at it, but because he was very effective at charming the, the vast majority of the locker room, which were guys who weren't making a lot of money and in TNA. And of course, he had a lot of loyalty as a result of it, not because of his work, but because of the way he worked the talent. Ken Anderson has pretty much disappeared from TNA at this point. Uh, he's going to be brought back around this time. What were the, are the ups and downs here? Uh, you know, the disappearing acts, is this all just personal stuff he's handling with Ken? Yeah. Yeah. Ken, Ken, Ken had some challenges, man. It's like. He, he wasn't as obvious as perhaps Jeff Hardy was when Jeff Hardy was, you know, really struggling. Uh, but you could see it, you know, and, and I, I was pretty friendly with Ken. I like Ken. So was my son, Garrett. In fact, uh, Ken Anderson and Garrett and I, you know, did a, an amazing elk hunt down in New Mexico. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I knew Ken fairly well. But at, for a period of time in TNA, Ken was struggling with a lot of the same issues that other talent have struggled with in the past. So, yeah, that, that was, in Ken's case, that's all it was. There's a report in the um, Observer about, well, some criticism of some creative. Sting would actually take to Twitter to post that he's done with wrestling after what happened with Rude. And this is like a, a fake retirement, I guess. But Hogan just did this a few months prior. And now all of the TNA personalities like Hulk Hogan and Dixie Carter, they're going to be responding on Twitter to the sting thing. And Meltzer says doing anything once or twice is good. And you should always use Twitter to market your angles. But when it comes to putting over the real fake retirement stuff, it comes off really pathetic. The second time you do it. And he says, sure, it's part of marketing, but should you try and shock people with things you say on Twitter and build storylines out of it? Well, maybe if it's done twice a year, sure. But if it's done weekly, you turn into WCW at the end. Okay. Let's, I wonder if Dave has made a similar comment about the false start industry changing surprises that Tony Khan makes all the time. You never hear that kind of criticism, do you? No. So again, this is just Dave being Dave. That's all I can say. You know, people have been listening to the show for the last four years. Know what I'm talking. It's just Dave being Dave. Uh, Crimson and, uh, Matt Morgan are teasing breaking up. I guess these are just two big guys, um, who, uh, who can't really get over, uh, Brandon Jacobs is going to be complimented pretty strongly. And, uh, in the observer, boy, did they luck out with him? It's very rare. A guy with no wrestling background can walk into a wrestling show and be as good as this guy is. Uh, plus he was willing to do whatever they asked. 
And the fact he came in as a replacement on one day notice and makes, uh, and pulled it off, makes it even luckier. Uh, interesting thing. I mean, the reality is this guy's fresh off of winning a super bowl and that's a pretty doggone big deal, especially in this era, because he just beat the Patriots. So he says, you know, after you win the super bowl, you come to impact wrestling. That's kind of a fun little tongue in cheek thing from, Hey, you just won the super bowl. What are you doing now? I'm going to Disneyland. I'm going to impact wrestling. Uh, but of course, Eric didn't care. Uh, Garrett and Hulk are backstage. Neither did anybody else, by the way. Well, that's facts. <laughs> uh, Garrett and Hulk are backstage. Hogan is telling Garrett he needs to get out of the business. Uh, and Hulk was training him just three weeks ago. And now there's this big sudden shift. We can't really pin this on Russo anymore. What's up with that? <laughs> I honestly, I, I, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at the story where what happened previous to that and what happened subsequent to it. You know, it's like taking one page out of the middle of the book and say, what the fuck was this about? Yeah. Well, you got to read the first chapter and the next chapter, um, in order to figure it out. So without looking at that, I couldn't tell you. Uh, so let's, uh, let's talk about something in the observer here. They announced the angle Hardy match for victory road angle came out with cue cards saying he needed him to remember everything he needed to say about Hardy. He said he hated Hardy because Hardy has lots of hair and he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't like how Hardy dresses. He doesn't like that. He wears makeup on his face. He doesn't like that. He dresses with socks on his arm. It's embarrassing. And he said how girls love Jeff Hardy and the girls are screeching and angle said the girls love him too, except he's a one woman kind of guy. And that's what Meltzer said. I guess that line was supposed to be comedy. Uh, but he said, what really bothers him is when he's at a house show signing autographs and Jeff shows up late as always, everyone runs from him to get autographs for Jeff. And then he talks about how his son has hardy action figures, hardy posters on his wall. He dresses wearing a hardy t-shirt. He has purple hair. And now even he's wearing socks on his arms. <laughs> Meltzer says between the words and delivery, this turned into a pretty good comedy routine. I can't say it got me excited to see them wrestle. This is one of the, the great things about Kurt angle, because if you need the bell to ring and that dude to have an ass kicking match, woo, he can do it maybe better than anybody, but when it comes down to the comedy stuff, he's like a fucking savant. Is he not? He is so amazing. I've said this a hundred times. I'll say it a hundred more times before I'm done doing podcasts. It, Exactly what I'm just repeating what you said in a different if you need a stand-up comedian on Monday night and you need a verifiable, credible killer heel the next night, that's Kurt Angle. And I don't know of anybody that can do it as well, shift gears as a character, as believably and credibly as Kurt Angle can. I've often thought that Dolph Ziggler has that uh, uh, that option. Yes. That, that ability and that depth and they don't use them that way. They never really, at least that I've seen his WWE has never made him that dangerous killer heel and take advantage of his legitimate, um, toughness and, and amateur wrestling background. They've never done it, but I believe he can. I wish he would, cause it'd be fun to watch. And that's what made me a Kurt ankle fan. 
He could show up wear a fucking little undersized cowboy hat and a promo with Steve Austin and just make you laugh. And even you, when you're reading the recap of his promo, I can hear that you're reading it to me, but I can hear it in my mind in Kurt's delivery and his voice. Yes. It's funny fucking shit. Yes. You can't teach it. I mean, your buddies, you know, your buddy Cassio, funniest guy I've ever spent time around, you know, and he's a stand up comedian. You know, he worked with Leno in the Tonight Show. He's done some shit. He's opened up for Ron White. He's legit, right? Ask him how many people you can take off the street, especially an amateur wrestler, nothing against amateur wrestlers, but their whole lives since they were probably six years old has been nothing but wrestling 24-7. And to be able to pluck that guy out of that world with a gold medal around his neck and stick him in front of a camera and have him be that naturally funny, I don't know. A gift from God, perhaps? Yeah. I don't know how that happens, but it's amazing. So it got Kurt Angle as over as he was. Depth of character. He's uh, unlike anybody else I've ever ran across in wrestling. Uh, Somebody else we haven't seen in wrestling is Abyss. We're doing an angle here where he's disappeared. And you're claiming on TV that his family has even contacted TNA and they can't find him. Of course, he's tweeting every day. <laughs> yeah, but you can't trace a tweet. Well, <laughs> okay, fair enough. We find him just because he's tweeting. All right, fair enough. I mean, you could tweet him, I guess, but either way, well, I just, but if he doesn't answer, he doesn't answer. I love you for this. This is Come great on. stuff. Uh, according to the Observer, a decision is made not to have Mike Tanay and Taz be at TV. Because TNA wants the commentary to be done as close as possible to the actual air date. I'm interested in your perspective on this, Eric. Is this just, um, hey, we, we, we think this gives us a leg up. So it's as fresh as possible and as topical as possible. Or in reality, is this just a way to eliminate a travel expense? Um, for me, I'm sure it was both. But for me, it was more about being timely. Yeah. Your show's two weeks out. Something happens during the course of the week. That's kind of a big fucking deal and you can't cover it. You know, and you, you could argue that, well, yes, you could, you could fly back to the studio and you could do an edit, but you know, that yes, technically yes, possible, but expensive and not as good. So it wasn't an ideal situation, but I liked it. Because I think the closer your commentary is to being live, the better. Talk to me a little bit about the news here. And I don't know what we can or can't say, because I know it was a legal matter, but this is the era where all of a sudden there's this whisper and there's a rumor and innuendo out there that there might be a tape being shopped around. that Mr. Hulk Hogan does not want to see the light of day. This is still before we know what's going on. But this is the time where it starts appearing in the news. Hey, there might be something out there. Is the company concerned or do they view all of this as that's a private matter with Mr. Hogan? Yeah, I, I, there was very little chatter or buzz, at least in front of me. Yeah. Now arguably, right. Because my relationship with Hulk wasn't a secret. 
Um, so people might not have talked as much around me or said certain things to me that they would say to each other when I wasn't around. So I'll, I'll, I'll account for some of that, but I never heard it, man. And, and I wasn't concerned about it. You know, I didn't know what it was in the beginning. Um, so it, it really wasn't an issue. Two things here. I want to bring up for your enjoyment. Cause I know you're going to have fun. Quote, Vince Russo is now marketing himself doing seminars on writing professional wrestling. In his press release, Russo claimed he wrote shows that achieved some of the highest ratings of all time to help create stars like stone cold and the rock. The points he's emphasizing in the seminars are how to get started in writing for a major company, how to get your foot in the door, how to create larger than life personalities, writing effective dialogue for specific characters, how to format a wrestling show, how to generate new ideas, 52 weeks a year how to sell your ideas to talent, how to create a successful working environment between talent and writer dealing with egos, overcoming writer's block, avoiding the pitfalls of politics, how to generate ratings and the difference between writing and booking your thoughts. How'd that work out for him? I, you know, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't take the class, but I'm, I'm here's the thing. I know you're saying that tongue in cheek. I'm sure there's some stuff we could all pick. I mean, I would learn from, I never wrote TV, so I'm sure there's some stuff in there. I could learn. Okay. I, I mean, I, I, I don't want to bury Vince Russo. I, I, I don't like Vince Russo. I don't dislike Vince Russo. He is a non entity entity to me. In my world, he doesn't really exist. If it weren't for this show, I would probably not have a conversation with anybody for the rest of my life about, about Vince Russo, or if I wasn't asked in an interview situation or whatever. Um, but I don't want to bury the guy. I mean, I, I really don't. But I think Vince is overinflated, distorted view of himself and his role within the industry. It was probably one of the reasons why he thought this would be successful for him and he could make some money doing it. Um, look, Russo did spend a fair amount of time in WWE, spent a fair a minute in WCW, spent some time in TNA. So he certainly has a perspective on the wrestling business, but in terms of his ability to teach his skills to others, whatever. Glad he tried it. Hope it was successful. For him. I can't believe this is a real sentence and I almost don't want to read it, but here goes. Eric Bischoff wrote on Facebook, just had a beer here in Nashville. Bartender asked me if I work for the boss, Jeremy Borash. When I asked WTF, was that supposed to mean I was told emphatically that Jeremy has represented himself as the owner of TNA. This is a quote. Jeremy is a low rent bit player who should be fortunate. Who should be fortunate. He has a job. Uh, Nick, all this comments that, uh, Jeremy Borash is a great guy. One of the hardest working and most loyal people and says, quote, aren't people supposed to be more mature as time goes on? Not less. So all this is trying to take up for Borash. You're firing some shots here. It started like you were just going tongue in cheek and going to have some fun. But boy, it took a hard right turn there at the end. A little mean on Mr. Borash. What do you remember about this experience and then your decision to take to Facebook about it? 
I, I remember it because I was shocked. There was a bar. I don't remember the name of it, but TNA had a really nice office. So, I mean, they, they had offices within a much bigger uh, office complex. And it was an older building that had been rehabbed. I don't remember the address anymore, but it was really nice. I liked it. And they had a little um, sushi bar on the main floor in a gym. And then at the far end, there was a, a really cool bar. And about six o'clock at night, because it's Nashville, right? Every night, somebody else, somebody new would come in and play a couple sets. And I used to love that when I would spend the night or a couple nights in a row in, in Nashville. I would look forward to the end of the day and going down there and because it was amazing music. And I love live music when it's really good. So I'd go down there. I got to know the bartender a little bit. And, you know, Bruce and I used to, to meet down there after, after things closed up. And I remember sitting across from the bartender who had over a period of, you know, months or whatever, I'd go in there once a week or once or twice every other week, developed a relationship with him. And he, you know, he knew who I was. And I remember him saying that to me. It's, you know, oh, so you work for Jeremy Borash or something to that effect. I'm like, what? <laughs> and yeah, I did it. I, I, I wrote what I wrote. And part of it was in character. Part of it was a shoot. Um, so yeah, I wrote it and, and I heard about it the next day. I think I apologized to Jeremy as a result. Dean Broadhead pulled me aside. Dean Broadhead was the, well, I mean, here's the thing. The first part is probably okay, but boy, that last line, low rent. Well, what did bit, I say? I forgot what I said. Already. Jeremy is a low rent bit player who should be fortunate. He has a job. That's a little, that's, that's rude. That's mean. That was, that was a little stiff. That was a little stiff. Cause he's a, I mean, he's a hardworking son of a bitch and everybody liked him. Oh, you don't like, you don't have that perception. No, I, let me, let me put it this way. I generally dislike anybody who misrepresents themselves. Let's put it that way. Well, now hang on now. Listen, <laughs> I'm not trying Guys, sometimes when they're trying to, uh, <clears throat> close a deal, they might not make a correction. So maybe if someone thought this or that, you tell me he said that shit. Cause he's trying to get laid hundred percent. Are you kidding? hundred <laughs> percent. I don't know that he said it, but I'm just saying he's a single man and the bartender there's alcohol going and. Oh, I'll pick up their tab too. He's, I could see how she would say, oh, you must be a big shot. And before you know, and I'm not saying that makes it better, but I don't oh. think he put it on a resume, Eric. He's <laughs> trying to do a deal. <laughs> uh, yeah. If, you know, if I've never misrepresented myself when I was involved in extracurricular activities. You know, before I met Lori and when I was out looking for, I don't uh, want to hear that bullshit. Places. Come on. I never, had, I never, ever. I've always been a, what you see is what you get guy professionally and personally. I've never misrepresented myself. In fact, I usually go the other way and downplay my strengths because when people find out, mm, it's more impressive. Now here's the Remember deal. What I said a couple of weeks ago, the worst thing you can ever do is put yourself over. Yes. You want other people to do it for you. Same thing is true 
in your dating life. But we didn't know. See, you, you assume that those words fell out of his mouth. I bet it's more like this. And again, I wasn't there and I've never asked Jeremy about this, but I bet it went something like this. There's some wrestlers hanging around. Cause of course, if they think JB or maybe Dixie or someone from the office is buying, why not? Where there's free booze, the boys will go. I get it, but they're going to handle him. Like he's office. So the perception to a, uh, a civilian, someone who's not hip to the wrestling business is going to be, oh, he must be their boss. And I could see how somebody would make that connotation and he might be trying to close the deal and he's not going to necessarily correct it, but either way, I'll, all right, I'll, 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 under the, under that scenario, especially if you're Jeremy Borash, because you need all the help you can get, I, I, I will, I will concede that it could have just been, um, some gamesmanship. I was trying to soften this up for Jeremy and you just can't help it. Are you like the only person I've ever met who doesn't love JB? I like him. Don't, I like him. Doesn't sound like you like him. It sounds like I'm telling you the truth from my perspective at the time. That's what that sounds like. And see what I mean? When you're honest and you're truthful, it just some people. No, but so- even when I said he was a hardworking son of a bitch, you go. <laughs> no, he was a hardworking son. I, 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 I would never, I would never challenge that. He, and he would do anything. He was like me back in the AWA. I'd fucking water the plants. I'd take out the garbage. I'd learn how to edit. I'd dub shit overnight. I'd stand in front of the camera. I'd sell some, I'd do fucking anything that I was allowed to do in the wrestling business. And, and Jeremy was much the same way. Well, let's talk about something that we can all have a big debate on because boy, I've seen so much positive, but I don't know how you feel about it, but I bet you don't love it. I could be wrong. March 8th is where we see sting fully embracing the Joker gimmick. Now, remember he's retired, but now he's back. And boy, he's full-blown Joker Jones. Uh, this is, you know, now with the, the, the remake of Batman dark Knight in the rearview mirror. I mean, it's boy, Heath Ledger just crushed that role and it's a part of pop culture. Sting really is going to switch it up for the first time since he did the whole crow sting thing. So you had surfer sting, then you had crow sting. And that's probably the legacy character that everybody remembers most. He's still rocking it today. But now there's this new introduction and boy, are we timely with this topic because the Batman just came out over the weekend and I'm sure it was number one at the box office by a mile. What did you think of Joker sting? Absolutely loved it. Well, okay. Absolutely loved it. Steve Borden nailed that so well. And I had so much fun working with, with Steve in that character. You remember the scene where he brought in a, a vulture? Yes. Oh fuck, that was so much fun, Conrad. That that's that was so much fun. Just from a purely, I, you know, I don't know how it played on TV, right? I don't know if people went, oh fucking rip off. I don't know. All I know is when I got to work with Steve in that character, he was so good that it made it so much fun. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And I enjoy going back and seeing little clips of it every now and then. Cause again, Steve, from a per- performance perspective, did such an amazing job with that. All the little, the subtleties and the nuances just, God, he just nailed it. I loved it. Well, now I'm interested to hear what you thought of abyss because we're not going to see abyss. Instead, we're going to see <clears throat> Joseph park Esquire. 
which of course is actually abyss playing the role of the brother of abyss. They cut his hair. They gave him a makeover. They had him speak softly. He's wearing glasses. He's dressed up in a suit and tie. Like he's a lawyer from David Otunga's firm. And the, the idea itself is uh, ridiculous, but the execution was really good. As far as abyss playing a completely different character. The problem here is that it's a Mick Foley like deal where once people saw Foley was a normal guy, his aura for the most part was gone as being able to come across as nuts and dangerous. Not completely because Foley was a great actor and promo, but for abyss, he becomes well-groomed abyss, which doesn't exactly fit into the character unless the idea is to make him the new Garrett Bischoff. So Bischoff can't help or, or Meltzer can't help, but take a shot at Garrett, but Joseph Park interesting idea. what did you think of the execution? Again, that's Dave being Dave enough said, first of all, if you listen to what Dave said there, comparing abyss to Foley Foley is a fucking joke. Foley was over abyss. Wasn't wow. Okay. It just wasn't come on. I mean, how do you define over? This is awesome. If that's how you define over great at every television show for TNA, there was probably 30 people that would, whenever there was a barbed wire match or some ridiculous fucking hardcore bullshit, you'd have a small percentage of an already small audience going, this is awesome. And you'd have people, certain people backstage that would, you know, be over impressed with that. Let's put, I'm going to leave it at that. Um, but in terms of drawing ratings, drawing money, selling houses, merchandise, all of things that you normally would quantify um, success were non-existent. So the perceived risk that the guy who hands out Booker of the Year awards, the oh. perceived risks from his perspective did not fucking exist because he wasn't over to get up to begin with, which is why we had to give him a new character. Fucking moron. Oh, there I go. See, there I go. I went from being saying, Oh, this is, that's his day being Dave to whatever. I think the crisp. Well, of course I think it was the greatest thing that he ever did because I created it. Oh, really? That was your idea. That was my idea. Well, I really like it. I saw Abyss in his gimmick sitting outside a soundstage. I don't know if he was smoking a cigarette or not. I don't think he smoked. Maybe he did. I don't know. Saw him out. I'm looking at him going, this is never going to get over. We can try. Hulk Hogan put his Hall of Fame ring on him, took him under his ring. We did all that shit. He was still a Mick Foley ripoff. He was less than Mick Foley. No matter how many baseball bats with barbed wire he'd bring to the bring to the ring, and regardless of whether or not he chugged a quart of thumbtacks, you know, or whatever crazy shit that everybody, you know, thought was a good idea because thirty people went, "This is awesome." Whatever they did to try to get him over, he wasn't over, and you couldn't really tell any fresh stories with that abyss character. But Chris Park is a little bit like the the Kurt Angle scenario that we talked about. Yes. He could be one character, come back the next day and be an entirely different character. And Chris Park was believable because Chris is so smart. 
and he could take material and make it his own and actually make it better than it was written for him. And he enjoyed doing it. He was a great performer in that respect. And he loved doing it, by the way. He just had a bad gimmick. Is your take. What was the bad gimmick? Well, the, the, abyss, abyss, the abyss thing was just a rip. Oh off yeah. It was, there was no way it was, a, it was a rip off of mankind. How the fuck is that ever going to get over? But I'm just trying to say, I, I want to, I'm trying not to bury the guy because we both think the guy was a great performer. He just no, had a, look at the Chris Park character. Go back. I yeah. dare anybody to go back and look at those performances. You know, forget about what Dave Meltzer has to say. Forget about anything else. Just go back and watch and ask yourself, was this a great character? Could this guy execute? Could he advance a story? And the answer to that is a definitive fucking hell yeah. Hell yes, he could, because he was amazingly talented. To your point, yes, your correction, I get it now. His abyss character was never going to get him there. He yeah. needed something else. Yeah. I just wanted to be clear, because I think you and I have talked about him before. The only knock on him could be he cared too much, which is never really a negative, but hardworking guy really put his heart and soul into it. Cared a lot, worked hard. Da, 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 da. He's the best. He, but, I mean, he, all of those things and more, all of those things by a multiple of three or four, all of those things. And even today, you know, he's, he has a great career in WWE. Yes. He's, he's a producer backstage. He's got a great perspective on things. Um, I'm sure he's a very valuable asset to WWE, but I loved it. I love the, the Chris Park character. I loved it. I kind of dug it too. Um, AJ styles comes out. He cuts a promo saying and saying he's got a surprise. Uh, the 10th anniversary of TNA is coming up and he's been there from the start. So out comes Christopher Daniels and Kazarian. Uh, Daniel says that he's styles, best friend and closest ally in the company. And he returned to the company to stand by his side. And he says, whenever Daniels and styles and Joe and Kazarian would complain, uh, Dixie would never do anything to styles because he was the favorite. And instead the bookers would bury Joe Kazarian and Daniels would get the brunt of the punishment. And once he was even fired, uh, so Daniels explained, he decided to put himself first and told Kazarian to do the same thing. So before you know it, Kazarian said that everyone's turned on styles because he's transparent and gullible. He's Casper, the friendly ghost. And they both noted with all the people over the years who have turned on him. Maybe the problem is him. Um, then Mr. Anderson returns and he's, I guess that we're going to set up a four-way brawl here, but is this too much inside baseball talking about behind the scenes, politicking in the ring? Does that ever really work? Do you think? No, no, it's, I mean, it does to a certain percentage of the audience, just like it still does today because people are more interested in what's going on behind the scenes sometimes than they are what's going on in the ring. It's more fun to fantasize like Meltzer does about what's going on behind the scene because you're not there. You don't really know, but it's fun to fantasize about. And in Dave's case, he writes about it and makes money doing it. But there is always going to be that subsection of the audience, that subgroup of the audience that really is interested in that stuff. And you're going to appeal to them. That's indie wrestling at its core. You're that that's yes. You will satisfy some of the people, but the vast majority of the audience isn't going to relate to it. They, 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 they don't connect the dots because they're not into the backstage stuff. They don't give two fucks about it. 
They just want to grab a beer or slice a pizza, sit down at the end of a hard day and be able to watch something that totally distracts them from the realities of their life. Whether it's a dog that needs to go outside or kids that are screaming or a boss that's yelling at you all day or bills that are piling up and you can't figure out what to do with, you need a way to escape. And sometimes, and, and wrestling is a great, in other forms of entertainment, is a way that people do that. That's why it exists. It's, 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 uh, it's a release of sorts. And those people who don't, aren't so into what's going on behind the scenes, it goes completely over their head. They're unaffected by it. They're not interested in it. So let's talk about the next Austin Aries promo, because boy, this is hard to follow. It feels, I don't know, out of place. Austin Aries comes out and talks about the history of the X division. He says there's been 25 different champions and 53 reigns, but that's not too bad because when Russo booked WCW in 2000, it felt like there were 53 title reigns in that year alone. And then he says he was the longest reigning champion, 182 days. Zima Ion cuts him off. They're doing a promo back and forth. And then he told Austin Aries that what happened to Jesse Sorensen could happen to you. So the fans are chanting Jesse, but man, it just feels like in hindsight, maybe we shouldn't have done that. I mean, you just talked about how it was super classy before. I don't know. It just feels weird to bring up a real life injury when we're, we're patting him on the back and saying, Hey man, nice job with the way you handled this. But then a week or two later, we're referencing it for a story. Jesse's out of the hospital, right? By this time, I think you just mentioned that earlier before Jesse was, would go on to be just fine. It was no longer the threat of anything serious. Sorry. I'm just not quite as sensitive as some people are. Um, Kurt Angle does an interview being mad that Garrett Bischoff caused him to lose a tag match the prior week. And he kept calling him bitch off. And uh, Angle said he's offering a five minute challenge because he talked to Garrett's wife and said, Garrett can't even go three minutes. So <laughs> nice little line. I like that. The go home segment. Oh, I miss Kurt Angle. I miss the performer Kurt Angle. The go home segment features rude and sting in a contract signing. And, uh, the highlights, the end rude said how sting isn't as quick and doesn't get around as good as he used to. He said, sting has to wear face paint to mask that he doesn't have what it takes to hang with the top guys in the business anymore. Sting turns over the table, kicks the chair and starts putting face paint on rubs face paint all over rude's face. Meltzer said it was a good segment and the best thing on the show. what do you think about that? I can't visualize it. And I didn't go back and watch this episode in prep because it's hard to find. Yeah. But I'm imagining it the way you laid out and knowing the principles involved, it had to be pretty spectacular. Sting was very motivated at this point. He was kind of really into what he was doing. He was into his character. I've said on this show and probably a hundred other times in different shows and interviews I've done, I've always been a massive from the very beginning. I was a huge fan of Robert Roots and supporter. So it had to be excellent, even though I honestly can't visualize it. So let's, uh, talk about some ratings here for a minute, because this is always topical, especially when we've got Eric Bischoff on the line coming off the prior pay-per-view, the the viewership was 1.5 million fans the next week up to 1.52, the next week, 1.58, 
then 1.33 and 1.40. Now we're saying million viewers. Now last week's Monday night raw had 1.75 million viewers. AEW dynamite had 966,000 viewers. NXT had 551,000 viewers. Rampage had 473,000 viewers and SmackDown on Fox, which is not cable, but broadcast did 2.114 million viewers. I just want to throw that in there just for context that TNA back then is almost doing raw ratings today and they're beating AEW and NXT. In fact, they beat both AEW shows combined. TNA was not this LOL TNA in this era. Timing is everything. And this is yet another example of that. Is it not? It is. It is. And, and again, you know, you've got hearty loyalists, Yeah, <laughs> you know, on both sides of the fence. And of course they'll look at AEW ratings and they go, yeah, but television is a different landscape today than it was back then. Okay. That's arguable. I mean, defensible. I, I get that. But you go back and look at, this is the way I look at, to try to be fair. And whenever there's the debate between AEW and is it really where WCW was back in 1996, Tony Khan's infamous statement at this point, which is one of the things that pissed me off, that and the fact that, you know, Tony Khan knows so much more about wrestling than Ted Turner does. Between those two, it kind of lit me the fuck up. But I just go from a, on a percentage basis right now, currently um, Monday night raw, which is not the a show, the a show. And I define a shows by who watches it more consistently, which, which episode, which show has the highest viewing audience on a consistent basis. That's SmackDown. Yes. Because it's on Fox network as opposed to cable largely. Okay. Then you've got Monday night raw. Th- they stumbled. They hit a fucking speed bump and did 1.7 million. AEW did 900,000. That's roughly 50% of the WWE audience. There's your standing there. That's fair. That takes the, yeah, but television is different today than it used to be completely out of the equation. Now what becomes impractical, no impossible is to look back and say, well, W, you know, TNA did 1.4, 1.5, 1.3 million people, but yes, indeed they did it back then. They weren't doing it in today's environment. Um, it's hard to make that connection and that relationship, just like it is, you know, and, you know, so yeah, WCW, we were delivering five, six, seven million viewers an episode at some points, but that was a different time. So it's hard to compare. And all I really do is look at comparisons today, apples to apples as best you can get there. And when you compare Ring of Honor's audience to a WWE rating or an audience. It's not really a fair comparison. Comparing AEW on TBS is not really a fair comparison to WWE on Fox. So all you can do is look at how do, how do the, how do the viewing audiences compare across the board? And it's hard to do with TNA. But yeah, we they we they were doing 1.4 upwards of 2 million on some occasions. Hulk Hogan's premiere uh, debut, I think, did over 2 million viewers. And those are numbers that we're not hearing about with the exception of SmackDown 
and then occasionally raw too often today. So let's talk about the show, but before we do, uh, I want to mention that Meltzer was critical of the use of Twitter. Uh, he, he says that he's not, he's not anti-Twitter, but it, let me give you this context though. He says, but when Taz is put in a position to read tweets and they're pushing what people on Twitter were saying while announcing the matches, it completely kills the flow of announcing the matches. So I think TNA should be applauded for trying to embrace this new social media. Uh, you know, Twitter blew up and I get why they wanted to be at the forefront of that. Hey, here's a new medium where we can carve out some attention for ourselves for free. But I think that's often a criticism of WWE these days, not necessarily reading the tweets, but Michael Cole less and less calls the matches and more and more hypes the next segment, but that's what he's asked to do. But I do think that's a fair criticism that, Hey man, call the fucking matches. Stop reading Twitter. Now that's not Taz's call. I get that. What do you think of that? I disagree with it, but not as vehemently as you're probably expecting me to. If, if TNA would have had a good play-by-play color combination, what Taz would have been doing would have been really effective. Well, or at least it would have been, it would have made tremendous sense at that time. But because there was no formal play-by-play in color, you had two guys that were doing color. That's fucked up. And it's still fucked up today, by the way. It bothers me to this day. There's no real play-by-play people anymore. Everybody's a color commentator. I want my play-by-play guy to tell me what the room smells like. I want to feel like I'm sitting. I want to be able to close my eyes when I'm listening to a play-by-play person in any sport, I want that play-by-play person with my eyes closed to allow me to feel like I'm there. I want a vivid description of the energy in the, in the venue. Like I said, I want to smell the popcorn coming down the aisles. I, I want to feel like I'm there and I want the play-by-play person to describe the action in the ring to me in a way that with my eyes closed, I can visualize the match. And then I want my color commentator to fill in the blanks from the performers or the talents perspective. What's Eric Bischoff doing? He's stepping into the ring with Conrad Thompson. What's going through his mind right now? And your color guy should be able to tell you that from a position of experience in a way that's believable. That's the way play by play color used to be done. Yes. And I think it's a honest guy. There's a guy I live here in Cody, Wyoming. Ain't a lot going on here. I am not a basketball fan. I never have been. I'll watch it during maybe during the playoffs. And yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll watch a championship game, but other than that, I don't give two shits about baseball or basketball because it's just so much of it, right? Never been a fan, but there is a, there is a local radio announcer here in Cody. His name is Cole Havens. And he does. I listen to him call high school basketball. I don't know anybody on a Cody high school basketball team. 
I don't care about their win loss records, but I listen to Cole Havens because I love his play by play. And because it's local radio and it's a local small town, local basketball team, you get a little bit of the, you know, the background of the families and the, the kids that are playing and all that, but that's what the color commentators do. But when Cole Havens is calling high school basketball, I can visualize it. Even though I don't know fuck all about basketball, I'm now interested in it. That's what a wrestling play-by-play person should do. Describe it in an entertaining, energetic way that allows the listener or in this case, viewer listener to feel like they're there and they're a part of the experience. And then your color commentator does. Why do you think they call them color commentators to add color and depth to the personalities involved? Now, if that would have been TNA's setup, then I think what Taz was doing was fine and it would have been effective. But when you got two guys doing it, meaning basically color doing color and nobody really painting the picture, then it becomes a distraction. And it doesn't really work. Well said con, sir, uh, this show, by the way, if you want to go out of your way to see it, victory road, 2012 got 64% thumbs up from the readers of the wrestling observer and out first it's uh, bully Ray and he's going to be talking a whole bunch of trash out comes uh, James storm. And Ray is supposed to grab James Storm's beer bottle and drink from it. But before he can pick it up, he accidentally knocks it over. A lot of the beer spills out. He does drink some beer, walks into a super kick, uh, and then he's immediately pinned. Now, the reason they did this in a minute and 10 seconds is because in real life, James Storm had surgery done, uh, in this same week to remove some bone chips from his ankle. And they needed to make the best of a bad situation. Uh, I guess, you know. If you've promoted the match and you got to deliver the match, got to do something. This is pretty creative. Yeah, it was, it was effective and needed to be done. It was making chicken salad out of a less than chicken salad situation. Speaking of chicken salad next up, uh, you're going to have uh Borash doing an interview and you're going to bully him and take over the interview. And Meltzer says they're trying to turn it into an angle that nobody wanted to see, but considering a handful of fans knew what the heck was going on, uh, with the whole Facebook stuff, that makes sense. Do you remember this? Yeah, I do remember it. And who's it wasn't my idea. I'm not sure whose it was. It doesn't matter. Um, it still worked. Even if you didn't know. If you weren't aware, you know, my, my tweet and you weren't aware of the backstage, you weren't aware it still worked. He's a ring announcer and I'm a heel and I bullied the fuck out of him. You don't have to be tuned in to what was going on in order for that to connect to you. I, 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 I disagree. I mean, I, I'm not going to say it was the best segment I've ever been involved with. I'm not going to suggest that it was, you know, a, a big win or, had a positive impact on anything, but it was a segment. It was entertaining. It was within my character and it was believable because I'm a fucking bully and he's a ring announcer. I don't know. Doesn't seem that weird to me. Next up, we got Austin uh, Aries pinning Zima ion to retain the X title in 11 minutes and eight seconds through the course of the match. While uh, Ion is down selling Aries goes over to SoCal Val grabs her phone and starts tweeting during the match. Because we're really <laughs> trying to push Twitter. They recreate the situation with Jesse Sorensen, though. There's a moonsault off the ropes to the floor. 
and it gets no heat at all. Aries is selling it more than usually sell a dive. He's acting like he's momentarily knocked out. And that leads to a small Jesse chant in the end. Brainbuster gets it done two and three quarter stars. The Jesse stuff being a callback. You good with it? <sighs> nah. Seems, seems like a lot to me. No. And it's no, it was, it was ineffective. It was a bad choice, bad creative choice. Samoa Joe and Magnus, uh, who's Nick Aldis, by the way, are going to retain the tag titles, beating Morgan and Crimson. And the match is really just serving as a backdrop to the Morgan and Crimson split. But the problem is the crowd really isn't into Morgan. Uh, and Meltzer says that Crimson should be a heel when it's all said and done though. Uh, Crimson starts talking about how he was a winner and Morgan's a loser. Morgan's cleaning house. When Crimson got back in the ring, he spears Morgan. And uh, then he says, I'm the undefeated one. You're a loser. Joe hit Morgan with the enziguri followed by the snap mayor. Magnus comes off the top rope and pins Morgan. He says, uh, it was nice that they tried to tell a story, but that didn't stop it from being a bad match star in a quarter. It feels like Samoa Joe is just being fucking criminally misused here. Joe was underused, you know, um, it took a while before we really figured out just how good Joe was. And that, that's a criticism. That's I'm critiquing myself here, criticizing myself, probably even Hulk Hogan to a lesser degree. We didn't see the potential in Joe. We knew Joe was a great talent. We knew, we felt a lot differently about him than for example, Vince Russo did. Vince Russo just didn't didn't want him anywhere near TNA for whatever reason. I mean, he was really obvious about it. Um, we felt differently, but that's not to suggest that we saw the potential that Joe had. To be really honest, we want we we wanted to push him more. We wanted to take more advantage of him, but we didn't really see the potential that was there to the extent that we probably should have. I'll speak for myself to the extent that I should have. Next up, Robbie E comes out and, uh, he's the TV champ and, uh, he's going to tease. There's nobody backstage to wrestling. The crowd starts chanting RVD, but of course that's not the answer. Uh, he points out three women in the audience and said they were 400 pounds each. He then challenged Val, but said, instead of wrestling now, we'll wrestle later tonight in my hotel room. And he says, nobody deserves a shot. And this open challenge is officially canceled. And then Devon comes out of the crowd. And what do you know? Now Devon is going to pick up the win. He's the TV champ. I mean, I guess it's a decent enough little story, but it feels more TV than pay-per-view next up. Gail Kim is going to pin Madison rain in seven minutes and nine seconds. And the crowd is really dead for this with the exception of some dueling chance. But Meltzer said that just came off as being pandering. And, uh, Taz was having to read some Twitter questions and he's clearly annoyed having to do so. Uh, ultimately rain blocks eat defeat. The first time Kim hits it the second time for the pin quarter star criminally underrated Gail Kim. I loved her finish eat defeat. what do you think of that? I liked it a lot. I think it's a really cool. I mean, I don't, I'm really surprised nobody's doing that on a big stage right now. Yeah, I liked it a lot. And by the way, I want to go back to the, you know, Taz on social media or Twitter. Yeah. That was a Dixie Carter driven initiative, by the yeah. way. 
Dixie would, I mean, Hervey and I used to chuckle about it. And don't get me wrong. We weren't laughing at, well, yes, we were. Fuck it. Who am I kidding? Um, yeah, we were laughing at Dixie because she would, she'd show, you know, it was, she used to sit out at ringside, right? Because she wanted every, she, oh, not going to say it. She was trying to get herself over, right? She wanted to be the Vince McMahon of TNA. It was very, very important to her. She was driven by that to a large extent. So she would sit out at ringside because she wanted to be, you know, she's just a fan. You know, it's got a wrestling company. That's that was her thing. She wanted to be, she wanted the fans to embrace her. So she sat out there with them. And all the time she's out there, you know, when the cameras would open up, she knew that she could see the red light come in. She'd, of course, she don't be really interested in what's going on. And as soon as the camera's off her, she's like living on. So she's watching the match through the comments on social media. When she would, and when she stopped doing that and she's sitting back in gorilla, she's watching the match based on the comments of social media. She's not watching the match. She's watching the match on social media. I mean, from beginning to the end, that's how obsessed Dixie Carter was with Twitter when it first came out. And she won everybody, you know, especially on the show because she wanted those likes and follows, right? She wanted to build up her Twitter following. So every announcement was Dixie Carter, the most important thing in the world that's ever happened to TNA next week. Same thing next week. What was all designed to get her a following in social media because she wanted to be the next Vince McMahon or Eric Bischoff you know, circus WCW in the nineties. So she used social media to try to do that. And it was too much. Next up, AJ styles and Mr. Anderson are going to beat Kazarian and Christopher Daniels in 13 minutes and 59 seconds. Pretty good match. Uh, Meltzer says this was good. He gave it three and a quarter stars. You know, you got a bunch of ass kickers in here. I mean, phenomenal bell to bell wrestlers, Mr. Anderson. Maybe not a TNA original like the others, but glad to see him back in here. And he's more than holding his own here. Uh, and then up next, Kurt Angle and Jeff Hardy, they go 19 minutes and seven seconds. Smelter would call it a very good, close to great match. Talk about a styles clash, but it's three and three quarters. Uh, what happens is angle cradles Hardy so much that he lifts uh, Hardy's shoulder way off the mat. The ref isn't looking at Hardy's shoulders or Hardy when he's counting. And it happened so fast. I didn't think anyone would notice, but then they show the replay and even Taz had to say, well, Hardy's shoulder was up and now the fans are chanting bullshit in hindsight. Why would you show a replay like this? If it doesn't support of, yeah, should not have, that was a huge mistake, huge mistake. That's the director not paying attention or the AD who would have pulled up the replay should have said, uh, uh-uh. I know you're calling for it, but you don't want it. So yeah, that would have been a David Sahadi. I'm not sure who is the AD there. Coming up next is uh, a comment that I'm sure you'll like in the observer during the show. They kept pushing fans to tweet questions to the wrestlers that they could ask in the interviews. But in every case, a question was asked and the wrestler then wouldn't answer it and would just cut his pre-planned promo. It finally climaxed before the main event when Sting came out and was asked his first Twitter question. Sting, the babyface, then not only didn't answer, but he said he was sick of Twittering and Facebooking and he just wanted to get to wrestling. 
<laughs> and that gets to our main event. Bobby Roode's going to beat Sting in 16 minutes and 40 seconds. It's non-title. It's no holds barred. And while they said it was no holds barred, they didn't really do as much weapons or brawling. It was more of a flare sting match with the usage of chairs for the finish. Meltzer didn't hate it. Hate it. He gave it three and a quarter stars. Um, they showed Dixie Carter at ringside acting, you know, concerned. Rude goes looking under the ring for a chair. He looks in the wrong place. There's no chair. He goes to a second spot and finds the chair, throws it in the ring. The chair set up. Rude goes for a pile driver. Sting powers out. Sting comes back, hits the scorpion death drop. But now seeing the chair, not seeing the chair, he hit, uh, he hit his head on the back of the chair and was knocked out for the pin. Decent little creative. And, and, and we're getting, uh, Dixie Carter at ringside and Rude's going to get in her face and he's going to grab another chair and go back into the ring. And he even picks Dixie up out of her chair and threw her in the ring. The post-match angle is probably what this is all about, but Dixie Carter being involved, she probably loved this. What'd you think of it? I didn't, I, I wasn't, I wasn't a fan of it. I mean, he's and even screaming horrible. at her, shut your mouth, bitch. And things like that. And kiss yeah, my it, ass, it just, bitch. It's just like, what are we doing? It, we were stroking an ego. Okay. We were, we were trying to build a little Vin, Vince McMahon. That's, that's what Dixie wanted. That was, that was your downfall. She was far too obsessed with being. The next Vince McMahon. She's even going to untape sting from being tied up in the ropes and the show goes off the air with nobody coming to save Dixie. I mean, if she really is their boss and everybody knows that she's their boss, why would nobody come? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. She's a woman and she's the boss and nobody's come. It doesn't make any sense. Nope. Nope. It sure didn't, but the match was good. Yeah, absolutely. And next week's episode is going to be good. We're talking about spring break from club La Vila. It's 1997. Dennis Rodman's going to appear as the latest member of the NWO. Roddy Piper's team for uncensored is going to be changed from three random dudes to the four horsemen. Piper's probably going to say something. He regrets about John Tenta. We got miss WCW nitro spring break taking place. The power goes out right in the middle of DDP's promo. A lot to talk about next week here on spring break. Uh, but speaking of uh, spring break, it's going to be here before you know it. And so is May 20th. It's 83 weeks live in Oshkosh. Both myself and Eric Bischoff will be in Oshkosh at the time community theater for an exclusive live 83 week show. Tickets are just 30 bucks and they're on sale right now at acwwisconsin.com. The next day on the 21st at the ACW water city wrestling con, Eric Bischoff, Malachi black, Dan Housen, the Godfather, and many more will be there. Those tickets also on sale at acwwisconsin.com. And you get all of our shows, Eric, early and ad free at adfreeshows.com. We've had a lot of fun this year, and we've still got a couple of uh, tricks up our sleeve later this month. Yes, we do. And by the way, I'm going to be making uh, phone calls all this week, just random calls to people that uh, are part of adfreeshows.com at all different levels just to uh, shout out and say hi. Because I just dig it. I love doing it. It's fun. And yeah, we do have some, 
some big surprises. Every shows keeps getting more and more sophisticated in terms of its content, more and more chock full of content, and is definitely becoming the destination for enlightened wrestling fans from around the world. Adfreeshows.com. Check it out right now and be sure to tune in next week. Man, I can't wait to talk about spring break and uh, plan a little break for yourself. April 1st, supershowlive.com. Who is the fourth man? We'll find out later this week. Supershowlive.com. Don't forget to pre order that pay per view. A Jeff Hardy trading card, one that's not WWE branded, one that's not TNA branded. And you want to talk about a limited card? This one is worth more than the pay per view the day you get it at supershowlive.com. Until next time, he is at E. Bischoff. I am at Hey Hey, it's Conrad, and we are out of time. We'll see you next week right here on 83 Weeks with Derek Bischoff. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.